Welcome to the Glorio Chat, the best anime podcast on the internet. I think I need to start with the elephant in the room here. And we, we were just starting to talk about it before we started recording. Aqua, I read your post about Birdie Wing that went out I, earlier today. I officially handed in my resignation. Sunday, and yes. We're revoking uh, your posting privilege. We're going to have to, um, I think we're going to have to ask you, uh, ask you to leave. <laughs> well, well, security will show you out. You can gather your things. The people of Glorio versus Aqua. You're gonna take me <laughs> right. to the anime call upstate. Right. Yes, <laughs> HR will uh, get in touch with you on uh, how to transfer your four hundred one k. I don't know if that's a thing outside of America. The, no, the assassination of Birdie Wing by the coward Aqua guys. At least the handshake <laughs> means I'll never have to work again. True. Yeah. Well. I, you know, you didn't hear this from me, but the severance package for the Gloria blog is not great. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly us laughing at you, to be honest. Uh, anyway, uh, you know we'll who have else plenty... they laughed at Jesus Christ. Oh God! Uh, Did they? That, that's that's a whole uh, that, that's a whole other. Uh, that's like a, is it from like a, a comic book or something? I don't remember. It's a meme. It's from a chick tract. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I, I yeah. I don't know what the origin is, but anyway. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that later, joking aside. But uh, yeah, we're we're here to get our final takes in before the end of the season, since uh, I think next time is going to be our preview show. So this is going to be our last chance to get our thoughts and speculation in on the summer shows here, or spring shows. We're going yes. into summer. Uh, For our usual format, uh, by the next time you hear us talking about these anim- anime, most of them will have finished. So. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, depending on the scheduling, of course, considering, uh, <laughs> yeah, I haven't actually, I haven't uh, actually done the math, but I'm pretty sure like most of them will be, I mean, like Oshinoko got delayed and also it yeah. got delayed one week and yeah. also it will probably get a second core, but <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll have, we'll have some things to say about Oshinoko as well, but before yeah. we, oh, we will dive into the details, uh, let's introduce everybody. I'm Jell. I'm not joined by Iroh. He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> they he's, finally got they him. They finally got him. Oh, pour one out for our beloved uh, comrade Iroh. Uh, but yes, he is well, actually... no, technically he's in New Jersey, which is worse than death. So well, that's yes. not even. That's not I know even I got it wrong too, but you can't get it even more wrong. <laughs> Look, I just wanted to make a joke about New Jersey. Okay? I know. I... No, he's in yeah. Philadelphia. That's also a city you could easily make fun of. Yeah, okay. um, honestly, Philadelphia well, is has a lot of New Jersey energy. If we're being totally honest, <laughs> uh, I mean, any a, city in like the East Coast that is not New York has a lot of New Jersey energy. Yeah, well, you, you start going north and you get into Boston energy, which is a different type of energy. I kind of hate, but the uh, that's a, <laughs> is it well, from Boston? <laughs> No, I went to college there. Went to, oh, okay. went to school there, yeah. She's from from California, but yes. California. Ah, West anyway, Coast, West Coast, baby. Anyway, uh, we, we will we will miss Iro. I I'm I will do my best without Iro's steady hand to keep this from devolving into a fist fight, as uh, we are 
now evenly matched between uh, Glorio team uh, Team Glorio USA here and uh, the uh, t- Team Gloriero. With uh, I don't joint. know what you're talking about. I'm the only European here. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, yes, uh, that is true. I have to correct that now. But yes, we are joined by Aqua. I'm invincible. Street Fighter reference. <laughs> no, it's indestructible. You it's idiot. Indestructible. <laughs> and that was two. That was two. For, that was like ten years ago. <laughs> you didn't even get it right. <laughs> I mean, actually, uh, it was 15, but... Um, I don't know. Kamehameha! Dragon yeah, Blood. Oh God. Got it, got it. Yep. <laughs> yes. Got it in uh, one. First the birdie wing takes, now this. Get this man out of here. Yeah. Um. So, yes, we are joined by Aqua and Zig this time. So you see, you say that people laughed at Jesus, but Jesus was a fucking amateur. People laugh at me all the time, baby. Ah, the heavyweight pro. Indeed. Yeah. Joker and 2019. We we do still have G with us, so we can hold it down for the regulars. Well, I'd love to, but you know, I'm here busy in my pursuit of strength. You know, <laughs> I I always thought I was strong. You know, playing playing these baby games like Persona 4 Arena and Guilty Gear, I thought I had achieved strength. But now I'm playing Street Fighter 6, and I realize. Just how long this journey is going to be to I mean, discover look, strength. It's not entirely your fault, G. People from Boston are always clumsy and ill-coordinated. So, um... <laughs> wow. We cannot do a I'm yeah. from Boston bit. Like, I was the worst Bostonian in the five years I lived there. I, like, barely engaged at all with that city. Yeah. I hate, I hate. Hey man, if you want strength, have you considered uh, beating people up with a banana? That's a reference like three people will get. But I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, 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 yeah, right. I'm sorry. I I can't I can't pick that one up. <laughs> well, we need we'll I, I we'll have to uh, rein this in here and uh, move on because we've got a lot of anime to talk about. But yes, uh, yes Street Fighter Six is out, and for what good. I'm told, it is very good. Yeah, like. Uh, I'm getting the shit beat out of me. I'm getting, <laughs> I, I'm I'm a dead horse here, man. I am getting like I I am apparently, you know, I was joking, but like I thought that like my experience in other fighting games, mostly anime fighters, would like give me some foundation to stand on. But I'll give yourself some credit, man. We went, I mean, like we went like twenty five to two last night. That's not awful. <laughs> well yeah i think at least i, think, I got those two you know what i'll say that you know? as uh yeah it's 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 i i it's i don't i don't know how to uh how to feel about it because i think both me and zig we both started with street fighter right and yes we are I, i've old. i have experience with both but but since i started from street fighter it was like the anime fighters were the different thing i had to get used yes. to versus the other way around so i don't i can't say i know the, that particular feeling but i can i can understand like i've it's, played enough to know the difference like why it would be a big adjustment but yeah it's it is a, a legitimate difference you know like I, I i definitely can say from my personal experience that like i'm not gonna say i'm like a complete newbie you know yes i can string together a hadoken motion but like it's like the individual particulars of those button presses in street fighter that are just so so different from what I'm used to, but I, I will also say credit to the game. You know, yeah, I went like 
yeah, 225 with Zig yesterday, but like I had a lot of fun, you know, like it was fun to start to figure out like what my options are, like what my cool moves, you know, what moves do I enjoy landing? And, you know, like it is the classic fighting game thing of like, I cannot wait till the next time we play because I've been, te- I've, I've been, I've been labbing, man. I, I've got some new shit I want to try out. And I here's mean, the thing. It probably won't work. Like I'll do it round one of the first game we play. You'll shut it down instantly, but I'll go like, <laughs> you know? I mean, that is how it always goes. I will say that like, I think the game just feels good. You know, it has a nice chunky, like direct feel like the impacts are really good. And yeah, I think, you know, I, a lot of people are going to get into fighting games with this game, and I think it's a good one to do that with. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get our anime talk out of the way so you guys can hit the lab again. I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh, go through these shows one more time here, and we'll start with my uh, romantic comedy power hour here with my love story with Yamada Kun at level nine nine nine. Uh, not too much to say this particular block as they do the, uh, the main girl Akane gets the dreaded anime cold and Yamada has to take care of her. It goes exactly how you would expect. Um, this is of course putting a pause on, uh, if you recall last time I mentioned Yamada did his weird confession thing. And Akane was was in the process of sorting out her feelings until she caught the dreaded anime cold. And, of course, Yamada taking care of her only cements her feelings for him. But uh, I have found it a little weird that... the So Akane ha- was dating somebody before. So, like, the fact that she's kind of going through some of the, like you know, what is love? Do I have a crush on him sort of feelings? I thought it has been a bit weird. I mean, I mean you like, over you the definitely... years, I have learned that dating someone and being in love with them are apparently not the same thing. Well, No, they're, they're very different things, I think. Yeah, I, I guess, but like, I guess I'm talking about like the classic anime, like I don't understand what it means to, to you know, have a crush on somebody or whatever. What and, is this like, feeling? Yeah. Yeah. But they what do is kind this of doki doki in my chest. I, then I did kind of remember, and they kind of remind you, like the show started with her getting dumped, and like she she's like, do I still have feelings for this other guy or whatever? And like she so there, and it, it's probably only been like a month or two that's gone by at this point too, right? So like, okay, that makes sense. You know, a lot of people are not ready to just start dating again right after they get dumped. But so I mean, a, I'll let that one slide. Um, but uh, the only other thing is there's a bit of a subplot with Yamada and one of the girls in his class who, of course, also is in love with him. And she's like serious, nerdy gamer girl who is uh, has, has a crush on him. And there's this whole subplot about Yamada's uh, emotional pain because, oh, God, he's so hot. And all these girls keep asking him out and he has to keep turning them down. And it's such a psychological drain on him. but. Uh, <laughs> damn that's rough her. buddy real rough buddy i mean look it it does suck to have to turn people down like it's not fun 
it's a bad feeling. I get it. And if I guess you, I mean, want, you, could, if you, you could... want a show that can talk about that subject well, look no further than the next show we'll be talking yes, about. Yes. Which we're, <laughs> we're, yeah, which that probably handles it a little bit better. This, in Yamada kun, it's more of like, you know, more of a dramatic sort of, you know. Oh, right. I, Author being like, what could be a problem that a hot dude has? Uh, I mean, I, I do think that this is not really an issue that would affect the vast uh, majority of anime protagonists because they tend to be sociopaths who have no regard for the feelings of other people. Yes. So perhaps this right. is a unique case. <laughs> so he does at least feel bad about it, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, yes. So Aqua, as you alluded to, this is uh, somewhat addressed uh, in... Skip and Loafer, yeah. As we, I, I think we're finally getting uh, more into Shima's backstory and what he's you, thinking. You, you'd think, right? Well, but the guy has a the guy is like is, an onion, you know. He just has layers and layers, and you can keep peeling them back. But he, and I think this is kind of the appeal that he just they still haven't really gotten through to him, even in the manga. It is the first time in the latest episode. I think it's the first time we've actually heard his inner voice. Yeah, yeah. His thoughts yeah. at some point because it's the first we, time that you know they actually follow things from his perspective. Yeah. So because we mentioned that earlier, like we kind of get that with every character except him, and this episode, this latest episode, was like the first time I think we ever had a scene where we have his actual perspective. Right. And wasn't there some speculation that that was because he was hiding a dark secret or something like that? Yeah. Well, you know, we'll get to that in a second. I do want to right. bring up the f the first episode of these two yeah, episodes, yeah. which it was a Sleep bit more over. fun. Yeah, yeah, where, um, well, they go on their zoo date, right? Right, and, the zoo date, and then the sleepover. And uh, Mizumi's uh, aunt decides to tail them because she doesn't know about the Shima guy. Right. And somewhere in there, they he casually a, drop. He might be a popular playboy who's yeah. stringing her niece along. <laughs> and uh, somewhere in there, they casually drop that she's a trans woman, I guess. Uh, oh, yeah. Was that not obvious? Which was, which was, like, yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they were, they were giving you some pretty heavy, heavy yeah, clues, but yeah. like this one, they were like, she's just out and says it, right? Like it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is pretty cool. And, you know, uh, you love to see the, positive yeah. representation here because the very, show does, like, a, does a very good job of like representing representing that character even though she's not like a main character it like occasionally pops up especially when mitsumi is dealing with her family back home but like in general it does not define the character it is merely a facet of who she is like right it's a good balance of like acknowledging it and also, you know, having it be, like you said, one aspect, you know, <laughs> it, it, the, 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 the big thing is like, she's very, you know, supportive and a very good, you know, support system for Mizumi while she's in the city. Right. And right, right. even, and, and even, uh, I guess a support system for, um, what's the other girl's Hibashira, name? Hibashira, Mika. Yes. Yeah. Who, who also is stalking our main yes. couple at the zoo and they, that's how they meet. And the thing is like, every time this show focuses on a particular character i'm like man this is the best character in skip and loafer <laughs> <laughs> right it's just because they're all so well-rounded you know you have mitsumi who is like the the like 
Mitsumi is like the shoujo protagonist that you actually are, as opposed to the one you want to be. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the, the horrible, overachiever, cringe loser, who is then accepted for who she is. But then all the other characters also play certain roles, but they are so incredibly well fleshed out. They're more than simply what they appear initially. Like, it's like, oh, you know, she appears to be the mean girl who has a shallow crush on on the love interest. And the show spends a lot of time exploring, like, Ebashira's identity and her struggles with the fact that she kind of knows that she is shallow and, and, and that it's not everyone else who is a vapid loser. She kind of is. Right. And yeah. sort of having her figure out how to deal with that and how to like accept people accepting her for who she is. Yeah. And uh, having uh, met, met up with uh, auntie now here, she gives her some good <laughs> advice and they right. kind of become friends, which is funny in the context I mean, of the show. Yeah, but, uh, but they do have yeah. something in common, right? They are both people who were unsatisfied with who they were in their previous life and sort of try to, become an ideal version of themselves right right because and... uh, mika was like a chubby loser in middle school and she made a deliberate effort to change right. her image as she, she wanted uh, to be the to, to be the cool, high school. Yeah. cool popular girl right and then immediately got like knocked off of her pedestal by yuzuki who is just like naturally naturally charismatic and popular Right. But then Yuzuki is also more than that, you know, and actually struggles with being seen as like the the queen bee when she just wants to be a regular person who hangs out with the people she likes to hang out with, even though those people may not necessarily be cool. Like, she's hard hanging out with the two least cool people in that school, so... Right, yeah, because you got... right. Mizumi and then the, uh, and the, yeah. the right the the glasses girl yeah uh, but yeah. yeah um yeah and before we get into Shima's stuff I I I did also like at the beginning of the second episode uh, when Mizumi goes home right as a as a little you know change of pace kind of reminder and I think if I think that helps you know flesh her character out a bit more mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. because you know she is so like driven in high energy most of the time but now you get co they, they capture a little bit of the feeling of going back home after you've moved after you've moved out for a while you know right sleeping, sleeping in mom giving you, you whatever you want for breakfast your own habits yeah yeah and uh yeah but so Did that was nice but rose that question of like I wonder if if rural Japan is actually still like that or is this is like an idealized form of it i mean yeah. i always tend to think that the stuff we see in anime is a super romanticized right. version i also feel like it didn't even look that rural when she went no, back, yeah but... because because it's definitely it's definitely not that you know like old-timey oh you know all the old men wear that like stomach warmer thing and all the kids have crew cuts and uh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's not, you know, your Boku no Natsuyasubi. But, uh, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but uh, it's like, 
like they have phones and technology and stuff like that but there still are certain things of like oh you know grandma is grandma is making the special local dish that requires her to like cook in the backyard for an entire afternoon like that right. kind of stuff yeah um yeah unfortunately we don't have artemis on to tell, can tell yeah. us tell confirm uh what if that's what rural japan is like these days but yes uh, we do in fact have a rural japan uh, expert, expert so to speak that is yeah. not on this podcast at the moment so. <laughs> we'll have to get her opinion on that but yeah so that, i mean that was nice um but i do think the the focus was kind of shifted a little more over to shima i think in the right. second episode i mean they they've started so they started to introduce some his of his backstory x question mark <laughs> i don't i yeah. wouldn't describe her as that so she is definitely the girl who feels entitled to his Him. love yeah. or whatever yeah, yeah. yeah but um so first of all i'm not i don't i don't really like his backstory i feel like it it's so bizarre that i don't oh, feel yeah. like it fits I mean, with the tone of the show but so so shima's backstory is that he was a a child actor who know and and one day um they got like they got invited Bro, to like a party he, or something. He, he and and this girl Ririka, who was also like a child actress model kind of thing, whatever. They got invited to like a party. Indeed, uh, they were you know it's like a cast coerced, party or something coerced and... into drinking alcohol. The press found out, and she was canceled over it, and he was not. Basically, like yeah. yeah so I they mean, were sounds chillingly realistic. So yeah, I mean, yeah. They, they said they said they said. Um... They were like six. They were like sixth grade or something. So what were they like? Yeah, eleven years old 12, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Like and they, they, yes. And so they got, they got brought along into this cast party or something and drank alcohol. And yes, she got canceled, and he did not. And she's very bitter about it. Mm-hmm. And and especially because he wants like nothing to do with acting or anything anymore. Right. I was going to say, didn't he willingly opt out of all? Yeah, that? and um. So she's still holding this against him, right. and he still feels like he owes her whatever she wants because he ru- yeah, yeah. ruined her life. He and... needs to like play play her boyfriend whenever she rolls back into town because he feels like he owes her. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. It I don't feel like it's it's so like far fetched and over the top that I feel like for I'm a like... show that's so chill. And like I mean, I, down to earth. I will say this actually happens. Like there are stories of like idols that young getting into quote unquote scandals, uh, right? Because but, of drinking and smoking and things like that. Yeah, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but like <laughs> I guess I think, I in think contrast the to is, the rest of the show, where right. it's like regular people dealing with regular people. I mean, problems. honestly, I, I, think the I, I idea was scared you were going to go way darker there for yeah. a moment. So. But I think the idea is that they wanted to create something that feels as far away from the normalcy of the show, you know, to show that this, this you know, everyday, fun, casual life is what Shima wants but has never known because he right. grew up in a situation that is completely different completely foreign to like a, a normal person because there's like there's a bunch of implications that he has a rather strenuous relationship with his mother who like 
is the her classic stage mom who like forced him into being an actor and and being a celebrity against his will, right? Yeah, like, and I think I think that would probably play stronger for me, like, because that made that you know that seems more, I guess, relatable. I guess I, I it's like it's like if we're trying to establish why Shima is so kind of sad and distant. Um, like those kinds of things feel more impactful to me than, you know, um, Mm. I mean, I think also the whole drinking thing is more her backstory than it is his backstory. I don't think it has anything much to do with why he quit acting. Right. But I mean, it does, it is why he's so like attached to her still. Right. Right. But I guess it kind of shows that like, everything just sort of slides off of him, right? Like, that he can yeah. just pretend that that never happened. Well, I mean, he... Wait, the way he doesn't seem to really care about anything. He's uh, he's trying to he's trying to pretend it doesn't affect him. Right, but, right. Yeah, it, it clearly is, right? that's what they're going for, right? And I, I, I do just think... Um, I do think that the end result is good because it is, does kind of show... Uh, they're they're not saying that Shima is handling this correctly, right? They're trying to tell you no, he is he is not like processing this correctly. He need you know like this is this is a an actual you know problem that he has to work out. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think I think that works well as far as like a counterpoint to him being sort of you know Mister Perfect Himbo most of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, that, that's yeah, the, thing, right? so, the show is not afraid to call its characters out, like not even exactly, Mitsumi, yeah. like. Everybody, everybody has like, of and, and that's what we were saying before. Like, everybody has their good points and bad points, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's nobody is a perfect character, but you kind of like them all because you know they're well-rounded people. Humans are just human. Humans are humans doing their best, right? So, yeah. um, so yeah, I mean, we kind of don't. They kind of bring that up, but don't really do much with it yet. I guess. Um, I mean, I think this is built up for when, you know, Ririka, the girl, uh, gets to meet his friends, right? Right. Which will probably be the culmination of the show, because as far as I know, that happens during the cultural festival, and they are working on that, so... Right, and yes... There's also the interesting interesting thing of, like, their class putting on a play, which will almost certainly lead to Shiba having to, you know, reckon with his... Right, demons as an actor. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's an appropriate setup for the final. What's probably going to be like the final arc here, right? Where mm-hmm. yes, Shima is going to have to confront his greatest fear feelings. Uh, yeah, get back on stage, Shima Kun, or Mitsubi will have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 get on stage, right? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, overall, though, I, I you know, I, I that's not really a major complaint or anything. I just feel like, yeah that aspect seemed a little incongruous with everything, but I think the end result is still good. Um, you know, there, there are probably other ways you could have gotten to that result, but the end result is, is good. Um, and yeah, I will, I guess we'll have to see now that they've set up the, we've got our cultural festival arc mm-hmm. and, you know, is Shima going to have to act in the play? And I, you know, I could see that going either way that depending on how things go. I, I mean, I kind of don't want it to be like, oh, he overcomes his fears and acts in the play, and now he's all better, right? But mm-hmm. who knows? Um, I, I don't know if we ever 
mentioned Aqua. Have you been reading the manga? Like, yes. Have you? Okay. Yeah. So, do you, so you already know what happens. I am. I am up to date with the manga, but then again, as previously established, I have a memory of a sieve. Like, so I don't oh, okay. know exactly what happens during the school festival. I just know that Shima's character arc is a ongoing process ongoing still. process yes. yes like you will not simply you know get over it and become cheerful himbo for the rest of the show like right okay well oh yeah that's interesting <laughs> i think i would i think at this stage i'd probably prefer it that way so that's yeah, good yeah i mean you don't want your ensemble romantic high school comedy to have characters that complete their character arcs and then just keep on going for like yes off of the <laughs> show cuff cuff horimiya cuff cuff <laughs> i saw they're getting another season for horimiya i think right? yeah yeah and they're going to adapt everything like they couldn't adapt in the first show yeah yeah like, the pitch is how about a show that's made up of all the bits that were not good enough to get into the yeah. first season like yikes. the second half of the first season <laughs> yikes all right well uh... We're not here to talk about Horimiya. That'll be another for another day. But I'm always yes. up to talk about Horimiya. I think it's a, it's I think that's a fair comparison, right? Yeah. So yeah. All right. Well, that show's still 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 really good though. So um, enjoying it. Let's uh, let's unchange G. <laughs> G. I'm sure you've been patiently waiting uh, in the background here to talk about Vinland Saga. Uh, without uh, Iroh, unfortunately, <laughs> without Iroh, unfortunately, you're the only one left here watching it. Although I keep hearing, like, even outside of you guys, everybody's saying this is so good. Like, I, I almost wish next season is like terrible so I can have time to watch it. But yes, let us let us pray for a barren summer so that everybody <laughs> can catch up on Vinland Saga in time for the end of the year. If but, ANN uh, says it's you, good, it must be good. You uh, really must be careful <laughs> what you wish for. That. <laughs> Look, me and Aaron need to get back into watching Dunbine, all right? Like we we've kind of fallen off of it because this season has been so solid. We haven't had time to do our, you know, our 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 Tomino Power Hour. But um, yeah, you I haven't had time to talk about shows from twenty years ago on this podcast about. <laughs> oh, sweaty! Anime. How quaint! I think yeah, you more like, I'm like like forty. Forty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no. So to keep it on track here, <laughs> I you know. Look, I it, I don't I don't want Vinland Saga to end up in that sort of weird like everywhere everything everywhere all at once or Undertale esque like hyperbolic like praise situation. But you mean like Legend of the Galactic Heroes? But no, because Legend of the Galactic Heroes is literally as good as Mel Clayton is. <laughs> <laughs> There's no amount of look. You you guys got to stop distracting me. I see what you're trying to do here. <laughs> um. <laughs> you can watch Legend of the Glory Heroes at. Yes. <laughs> all right, Still, all right. So Yes. Vinland Saga. I, I I know I say it every week, but I I really I really do appreciate and love just how much it seems like the people at MAPPA who are working on this specific adaptation um seem to really truly key into like what makes that show tick. Truly. And of course, most of that staff, I should mention, are former Studio Wit. Uh, my understanding, I think we've said this a couple times, is that even though MAPPA has picked up season two of Vinland Saga, um, a lot of the people who worked on the first season, which was handled by Studio Wit, were like so committed to the series that 
they were willing to switch studios to keep working on it. Um, but yeah, so uh, these two episodes, which uh, are named uh, Pain and Courage, which should uh, <laughs> give some indication of what goes on yeah. this, this week, um, are sort of the continuing culmination of all the pieces that have been falling into play this whole season, right? Like Thorfinn's sort of actualization as a human being and his, you know, swearing to pacifism. Um, Kettle's farm sort of falling apart due to King Canute's own, like, you know, increasingly violent methodology to achieving his idea of the perfect nation. And the ways in which the marginalized are always are always the first to suffer the most due to the whims and actions of powerful men. Uh, Pain is about the clash between Kettle's farm and King Canute's forces. Uh, and it goes about roughly as you'd expect between an army of like 300 peasants with like buckets on their head and like a trade force of 100 dudes in shield formation and chainmail. And it's it's a slaughter, you know. Like we we uh we we, but it happened in the prior week as well. But this week is sort of like the now now it is time for the named characters to come to terms with the consequences of this violence. Just just um, out of just out of interest, um, are are the guy are the people on the side of the farm are they fighting because they want to, or are they fighting because they have been told to? And that's the thing; it's a combination of both. Right, like. The tenant farmers, you know, get wound up by classic, like, I mean, so this is the thing, right? This is the thing, this is the aspect of the culture that this show is playing with is it is a combination of material desire, right? The idea that, like, for a lot of these tenant farmers, if they can somehow pull this off, right, they will be rewarded handsomely, right, by by Kettle. But also, there's a lot of the, like, espousing of, like, Remember your Norse manhood, right? Remember, you know your your you know your your role in this world, right? Like, you know, you're you're a man. You're meant to fight. You're meant to repel the invaders, right? Even though in this case the invaders are like so overwhelmingly like more powerful that there really is only one possible conclusion. And yet, you know, they get wound up. You know, in that first battle, you know, these tenant farmers, they. You know, they they try to give it their 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 best effort, right? And it is only after like like that first clash where they truly realize like how how uh you know how out of depth they are. Um and then sort of the other half of the episode is sort of the conclusion of Arnhide's story. Um for as a reminder, Arnhide is uh the female slave that Einar and Thorfinn uh befriend on Kettle's farm. Right. Um in a prior episode, we find out, you know, she she is the wife of the escaped slave in the prior arc, and uh, she is pregnant with Kettle's child. And, you know, just as a brief reminder that uh, when Kettle finds out about the escaped, uh, es- the, the, the attempted escape um, brutally beats Arnhide within an inch of her life. And, uh, you know, this is the episode where we find out that that inch is a lot closer than we thought it was. Um, she briefly regains consciousness, you know, to, you know, thank Thorfinn and Einar for everything they've done. And, you know, as they try to, like, you know, beg her to try to hold on to living, you know, she kind of hits them with the most armor-piercing question of all, which is, like, in a world this cruel, in a world where those of us who are at the bottom of society, 
are trampled on with such inhumanity. But enough what about present th- die. <laughs> yes. But, but truly, what is there to live for? Like, if life is just an unending series of cruel acts and indignities, why should I bother holding on to my life? There is nothing for me here, and there will never be anything for those of us who exist at the bottom rung of society. And I, I haven't really gotten into it, but I really want to give a big, big shout out to Arnhide's voice acting. Not just this episode, but every time she has appeared in this show. Um, th- this is going to sound like bad and out of context, but... Just to be clear, you're watching this in the original Japanese audio. Of course, right? yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Arnheim... You're telling me you're not even watching this in the original Norse? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately not. They haven't. I don't think there's a Norse dub of this show yet. <laughs> but um, Arnheim is a character that truly gets dealt a great degree of cruelty and indignity. Being a female slave in medieval Europe. Um, and she does an amazing job voicing just her anguish and her her suffering <laughs> i know this sounds bad but it's like yeah no i i, I, I yeah because that's that can be very easy to, to like overact right yes and she yeah. does it in this very human way like there's a scene a few episodes back where she kind of breaks down crying about just the whole absurdity of this situation of being a female slave but then having her former husband who is also now a slave coming to rescue her and just this like horrific paradox she's been caught in and like she is like choking back sobs and tears in like this very like realistic like very believable way like she's kind of incomprehensible like i don't actually know you know not being familiar with japanese i don't even know if like she's particularly like easy to understand in the original japanese like her her acting is like it's it's so fucking good i i like she is not the character I thought would be such a standout in the adaptation of this show, but but she really is. And it's she becomes the catalyst for Thorfinn. Thorfinn remembers a story from when he was a child in this episode, right? He remembers when his sort of family friend, Leif Erikson, told him about a place called Vinland far to the west and how this land was an untouched paradise Untouched uh, I'm, by I'm war. assuming this guy is the Leif Erikson. Yes, this right? is the yes. Leif Erikson. Yes, who who has told a child Thor's uh, Thorfinn about this land, and this is all a callback to literally episode one of season one. Um, this is sort of a completion. This is a completion of the circle that has been in the making over forty episodes. <laughs> where Thorfinn finally remembers this story for the first time in literally like over a decade and tells the dying Arnhide that there is a land that is untouched by this cruelty and indignity. And it is a place called Vinland and that one day they will all go there and they will all escape the vicious cycle of violence that has engulfed medieval Europe. And it is it is beautiful, but there's also an undeniable, an undeniable bittersweetness about it because right. those of us who are familiar with the history kind of know what happens to the Viking excursions into North America. We know I mean, the eventual North America in general. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. You know, and yet 
for these people who have literally nothing else to live for, is even the dream something worth living for? And that is sort of the question that that episode grapples with in the end. And, you know, regardless of how it, whether it succeeds or not, Thorfinn now galvanizes the various thoughts I've been coalescing in him into direct action. And that then leads into episode uh, 21 titled Courage. And this episode is also <laughs> really good, but for some other reasons, it is, it is sort of the aftermath of the battle um, Olmar, the sort of second fail son of Kettel, who had inadvertently kicked off this war in the first place because of his like delusions of grandeur about Viking manhood, uh, is forced to literally face to face with the wounded at the camp uh, after the battle. Right, like you know, in some regards, the people who were killed in this fight may have been the lucky ones. Uh, Olmar is forced to directly witness the. The grievous injuries, the mutilations, you know, men with their hands and legs hacked off, you know, arrows in their eyes, guts spilling out. And again, Vinland Saga very deliberately em employs its gruesome violence in the right places, right? Like, right. this is not meant to be, like, for shock value or, or, or you know, excess. It's meant to make a man who up until this point has explicitly been portrayed as delusional, delusional about what it means to be a warrior is now forced to confront what that actually means. And, and it breaks him in the best way possible because as the actual like stated heir to Kettle's farm, um, he is the only person, the only person in Kettle's family who has the eponymous courage to understand their situation and agree to surrender to Canute so as to prevent any more undue suffering towards, um, you know, their, their, their tenant farmers. And this is where Vinland Saga then plays with the ideas of like, what is courage, right? Especially in medieval Europe, especially in Viking culture. What does it mean to have strength? What does it mean to be brave? And, is self-awareness, is self-actualization not its own form of courage? And, and there's directly, like, then... And, and, and in the ways that Villain Saga, like, always expertly, like, ties these storylines together, then ties directly to Thorfinn's actions in this episode, where he has really constantly struggled with what can a pacifist slave do to stop a war? And, you know, there is a reason, there is a somewhat contrived reason why King Canute is here at this battle. And that is to, you know, catalyze a meeting between him and Thorfinn. And so Thorfinn resolves to meet with Canute um, by any means necessary. And uh, he, is, he is stopped by the soldiers at Canute's camp, who, of course, do not believe that this, you know, this scrawny disheveled slave was at any point in his life a former like colleague of their king yeah i was and, gonna say uh, just to refresh my memory he they had a previous like they knew each other previously right like yes yes the, they were yeah. they 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 uh they were uh co-conspirators i guess in <laughs> the, the death of uh canute's father uh but um 
And so they kind of give this... And this is where it's like, okay, it goes back to being a little bit anime, right? Where these Vikings are like, all right, tell you what, you weirdo little slave. If you let our biggest, burliest Viking warrior punch you directly in the face a hundred times in a row, and you're still alive and conscious by the end, we'll let you speak to the king. And, uh, you know, this is sort of to set up that, like, you know, Thorfinn, a guy who has always lived his life as someone who would take no shit, you know, fought Thorkel the Tall to a standstill in season one, you know, the Viking Terminator himself, is now being told, hey, you gotta take a beating like an animal for, like, the next 30 minutes if 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 you want even a chance to talk to our king. And, you know, this sort of ends up being, like, this will be the real test of his convictions and his commitment to pacifism. Right. And... That's kind he of could probably just murder the guy who's punching him in the face, right? Oh, he could totally murder this dude. Yes, so like, yeah, 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 like that, and right, that is the thing, right? That is like the, you know, this is the show that constantly asks, like, what is the value of your pride? You know, what is the value of your standing in a society versus like the real material concerns for like people's lives? And, you know, that is sort of the fun, like, like Olmar, the fail son, comes to that realization in this episode that there is more to this world than pride. And Thorfinn has maybe already known this for like six episodes at this point, but now those convictions will truly be put to the test in the next episode. And yeah, man. So they don't actually do the punching yet. That's where we end. He took like three at the end of like this episode. He's got 97 more to go. So, you know, right. Okay. Well, you know, again, that all sounds very good. I will, I will try to find time to watch that at some point because I, I keep hearing more and more about it. I'm like, that sounds like something I'm gonna like if I actually uh, <laughs> get around to it. So yeah, it's it's really well done. I I I have. I'm not. I don't know if I want to go as far. Like, I mean, Heavenly Delusion is airing this season, so in some regards, Vinland Saga perhaps cannot win best adaptation of the season, but it. Oh boy, it gets it's it is right there. It is certainly in the same weight class, to be sure. Multiple multiple good shows is a good problem to have. Yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. Yes, definitely for yes. sure. Yeah. I I guess if I guess if I would give anything to Vinland Saga then in the comparison between the two, I think Vinland Saga's adaptation is like it is pitch perfect in the way of it is not really experimenting or diverging from the source material in any way it is just taking the strengths of that source material and honing them to kind of their sharpest edge possible in in the anime version which Inter- interesting week to make that comparison with the oh definitely episodes we have this week <laughs> yes, but uh, yes, yes. Definitely. and so um, vinland Saga is proof you can in fact slavishly adhere to the source material and and still pull it off like really excellently yeah. Well, I think it's like you said in the beginning, like so long as you understand, like what what are like the the important things, right? To to emphasize, and you know that's the probably the most important part of any adaptation. And whether you you know make it look exactly like the manga or you put your own flavor on it, so long as you're like reinforcing the the right themes and ideas and everything, you know, usually you can make it make it work. But, Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have more on Heavenly Delusion in a bit, but first we're going to talk about Oshinoko. The other high-profile adaptation. <laughs> with, yes, yes so. yet another one, which, uh, you know, we only had one episode this time because they got hit with the recap episode. 
I feel uh, like every time I hear about this show, it is becoming more and more divisive. Well, yeah. that's valid. All right. All right. So, just I, I'm curious because I don't think we, I don't think we've talked about this separately this episode yet. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys are going to think. But basically, we, we, we left off on the cliffhanger with Aqua uh, saving Akane from jumping off the bridge and killing herself, right? And, um, we kind of deal with the immediate aftermath of that and i'll i'll say my feelings first and then i'll let you guys have at it but One i second. was um before we uh talk about episode seven there is something important about episode six that we do need to address um which is on the last episode of the podcast uh Iro alluded to uh, the story of Akane being very similar to what actually happened in real life to uh, uh, to Hana Kimura, a, a, a professional wrestler who also participated in a similar show, uh, and and her story uh, did not end uh, as uh, well as it does in Okino Ko. Um, and lots of people pointed this out after the episode aired, uh, as did many people when the manga chapter in which this happens um, went up or was published or whatever. Um, and it turns out that Hanakimura's mother, who was also a relatively famous pro wrestler, uh, heard of it and she was not satisfied. She was not happy with uh, her daughter's story being, uh, being used uh, as free reference material, as she called it. Um which is obviously like a shitty thing for the anime company to not consult her um and was she was ask the, for her permission just, but just then again that should have happened when the manga was published yeah and not when i was the gonna say was. just to, just to clarify was that during when it came out in the manga or, or no now? when she responded after the anime so I oh, can so imagine recent, the, so the, like recently, yeah, yeah. So I can imagine okay. the anime people being in kind of like an awkward position where they were perhaps not really aware of what they were doing as they as they as they adapted it. Yeah, um, it's, it's the, definitely it's one a, of those tough situations. Yeah, where, like it's it's difficult, but also like I think it's complicated because like right, like it's it's hard to say this without sounding callous. But I don't necessarily think you should have to ask for permission to use rips from the headline story. The but thing I... is, the thing is, you you cannot like that is just because first of all, it is all speculation that this story was based on the Hanakimura story. It probably was. I mean, it, it's but let, then let's again, real here, like it's, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not speculation much, you know? right? Right. It's but the not thing a is, smoking like, gun, you are seeing it shot at you, right? Yeah. I mean, it is. Uh... But the thing is, like, can you, if we cannot base ourselves on things that we experience in real life that make an impression on us when writing stories? Right, that's that's what I'm saying as well. Right, like what is the because like people are coming out and saying, oh, this is just you know, oh, you know, you know, the, the writers are being sensationalist. You know, they're they're using this poor girl story to get to get you know attention and views. Whereas on the other hand, this could just as well be. We know Oshinoko is a very personal 
sort of story or comes from a personal sort of vendetta, this might as well just have been, you know, writer sees something, hears something, is has an emotional reaction to that and, and, and tries to reckon with his feelings by writing a story based on the news that he heard. Right. I mean, and that's a way more the... positive spin than, oh, they used this for sensationalism. Well, I mean, but the I mean, answer think... is also that both of these things can be true. At yes. The same right. 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 I think Zig right. got there before I did, is that, like, writers are always influenced by what's around them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, one n- need only look at fiction post-9-11 for a great example, yeah. Yeah. right? Like, people are always influenced by the events that happen in their life, and I think the very and i don't think there is a like necessarily clear line of like this is okay and this is you know offensive right i think there it, it is that very very difficult thing of <clears throat> i think every case of this probably has to be approached individually right because mm-hmm. there is the world where like you know i mean there is the world where like that real life tragedy is used in a very like grotesque or sensational way right, right? like right. there is a there's a version of this where it is used in that such a clumsy manner that you can only take offense at it which manga think... is absolutely no stranger to like yeah. uh, <laughs> yes, you know, yes. there have been like horrible murder cases that have been I mean, sensationalized right, into like yes. shitty I mean, horror manga like, and stuff like that for the record neither is pro wrestling um yeah, so, yeah right yeah. i mean <laughs> yeah so uh, but, um I think in yeah. Oshido Ko's case, where I, I, I don't know if necessarily that knowledge affected my perception of this episode any, I think this is that tough thing of, like, it's hard for me to, to know for sure, like, is this episode sort of the, like, uh, almost like fantasy do-over, if that makes sense. Right. right? The, the, like, this episode is like, ah, if only X, if Y, only Z I could had have saved Hanakimura. Right. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and so there's this aspect of, like, are your intentions there good, or is there a little bit of that, like, kind of weird... I mean, this is the whole, savior complex. This is the whole controversy that happened with that uh, Y2K game a couple of years ago, right? Which also was based on a real-life murder case and also felt like some kind of, like... The writer being like, "Oh, I could have saved this innocent poor girl." Right. Like, yeah. And mm-hmm. I think again. I mean, I, I get. I, I think I know why Oshinoko continues to be divisive because even for me personally, I'm kind of still working through my feelings on this episode. Like, I feel <laughs> like it is. The thing I will say is, I think, I think the tightrope Oshinoko is walking on is getting thinner and thinner for me every episode. But up till now, it is still managing to stay upright, if that mm-hmm, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like so, there's a I'm lot assuming, of things. Yeah, yeah. Every episode so, where I go, like I'm, I'm like, I, you know, like I look real fucking hard at, Aqu- uh, at Aquamarine, and I'm mm-hmm. like, you're really getting on my nerves, dude. Yeah. Like, I don't know how much more of you I can put up with. Right. But so this is gonna this is gonna segue into a discussion of episode okay. seven, right? So before we do this, I do have to say that. Um, Kyoko Kimura, the mother's response to the episode was predictably met by a lot of online harassment, and I have mm. to say, Jesus fucking Christ, media literacy, like right, like way way to miss the point of the episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so God. yeah, I mean, I think that's a thing. I mean, even I think even episode seven gets that to a certain extent, right? Mm. Like because. Yeah, because the episode itself deals with the aftermath of Akane's attempted suicide, and I I almost respect that the episode is like, 
yeah, some people were sympathetic, but also a lot of people, you know, said online, I wish you had done it. And it's like, yeah. that is the most believable thing about online discourse about a right. celebrity. That's the thing, right? They try to turn the discourse around, but they straight up admit that, you know, not everyone is on board and some people are just shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. And this is where then it makes kind of like the part of the episode where, you know, the healing arc, quote unquote, begins that I don't want to say rings hollow, but like almost like I'm. Maybe I'm too cynical. I don't. I don't know if a fluffy like highlight reel posted to Instagram or Twitter would actually reverse people's opinions to that degree. Mm-hmm. Like you know, yeah. I feel like, I mean, the thing is, most of the people who are doing this shit like aren't available to be to have their opinion changed. Right? Like mm-hmm. nothing will change the opinion of an online troll because the opinion is not the point. It's the action that's the point. Right? Yeah. So. I just to share my roller co- my own roller coaster feelings on this episode. <laughs> the 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 quote unquote healing arc. I was just like, oh come on, are we really we're really doing this? Like, are we are we gonna do the like, you know, we 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 all just be Akane's friend and she's you right. know healed from her. You see, her... it's Aquamarine super genius who has these soul uh, yes. bullying. Yes, he is. That's solved. what I mean when yes. I, I like I, my my side eye is like starting to hit 180 degrees on. on he has solved online like, bullying and depression, and can now prevent suicides. And and I'm like, are we really doing this? And like, I I was just not not into the the whole thing. And I guess the second thought this probably is Aka Akasaka being like you oh, if I had been there I could have stopped this you know if, uh, it if, was if I had yeah. you, I, w- I would have done it like this and then these kinds of scandals wouldn't happen I, I don't like, I don't know what's going on in his head anymore at this point yeah. but the I I it, I think and when I say that what kind of turned the episode around for me I'm not saying this in a 100% positive way. I'm just saying it was enough where I didn't want to <laughs> stop watching. Right. Um, the We see that Akane is not really okay by the end of the episode. Well, um, this is but, an interesting where, character. Like. It, it is an interesting turn for her character that I think can get bit... It, 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 okay, this is like a classic, like... <laughs> I can't believe I'm using shonen terms to like explain <laughs> this for a show like this. Akane feels like the classic case in a shonen manga of like a character that was sort of meant to be like a one-off bit character suddenly getting popular with the fan base. Absolutely. And so the writer has to write, oh, actually, their real power was X, Y, and Z. They simply right. didn't display it in the previous tournament because it wasn't the right fit for their, their skill set, right? Because that's exactly what it is. Like, it's like, let's so- not kid ourselves. Oshinoko is a shonen manga published like, in a shonen magazine. Right, it may not like- use the same throw it may not be like a battle manga but it still uses the same because, because like they're literally like doing the fucking like fucking like pro wrestling carny cope uh, like oh akane struggled at a reality tv show because it's not used to her true style of acting when fucking kana is like oh you didn't know akane yeah. was a in brackets theatric actor <laughs> yes <laughs> you know? and it's like <laughs> oh come on 
the, the yeah. virgin impressing your co-stars with uh, your method acting skills by sending them sex toys and dead rats versus the oh. chat impressing your co-stars with your uh, method acting skills by imitating their mom. Like, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's a thing, right, of, like, the show understands, maybe the show understands that, like, for people like me who are, like, like on the edge of falling off that tightrope. It's like, all right, throw a real fucking banger of a cliffhanger at them that'll make them go, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll watch the next <laughs> and episode. And that's the thing, like, as, I don't as even... As I said last time I was on the podcast, that is that show, that is this show. It's the, just stuff. And I don't even... I don't even know or think that I like the twist. It's just interesting <laughs> enough for me to, right, like, that's... stay on top of it. I'm like, all right, where are we going with this? But, but yeah, Akane is an interesting character because, like, I'm... I'm reading the manga, right? For some reason. Uh, and when Akane showed up in the anime, I was like, huh, is that Akane? Like, I didn't even remember her A being like this, a B looking like this, because she's going to get a little change in her look that is like, that she'll going to have, that she's going to have for the rest of the story. Uh, and and it's very interesting to see where she came from and how she is developing into what she is now in the manga. Like I think the whole point is of her character is like showing how Aqua's actions see I can call him Aqua uh, how Aqua's <laughs> actions are like changing the people around him and maybe not necessarily for the better. Like they'll right. become more Machiavellian. As they get swooped into his crusade or whatever, like right, yeah. Which once again proves that Aquamarine is just like Yagami without the death note. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just yeah, just I. He really is. I mean, and I, I don't think the show is always painting him in the most positive light, but yeah, yeah, he is clearly they like on him, but yeah. But but I mean over I I think it's a net positive but it's not always positive and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the I don't know the fact that he he is like without question at this point the center of the show right like I is just and I I, I it's just it's tough when I hate the guy who's the center of the show <laughs> like, understandable <laughs> yeah so I don't know I I was real I was real close to just being like what am I what am I doing here why am I still watching this and then. Mm-hmm. by the end there's just like all right this is just barely interesting enough it certainly seems weirdly compulsive like all of you have spent a lot of time dumping on it and yet you're all still watching it's like i just kind of want it's like i just want to see what happens like Mm. i don't i'm not necessarily having fun but it's like so not are we are we firmly into code Mm. dsr2 car crash territory no 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 we're not at that level no no but but then again i'm also someone who is actually interested in the criticism it has on the entertainment industry because that that shit is my jam so i can sort of look beyond the the whole why aren't they you know solving the murder and why is aqua such a prick and uh (laughs) you know the whole Because so, I still like I'm entertained by whatever the show is doing when it's not doing crazy twists. Yeah. But for someone who is mostly there for the crazy twists, I can definitely get the feeling that they're like being, you know, it's the carrot on the stick, you know. Yeah. You, it's you, just when you gotta keep watching. Maybe one day you'll get the carrot. <laughs> yeah. I, I. It's like you. It's like because they're. I guess 
so willing to shake things up and throw you curveballs and stuff like that's kind of interesting to me like i just want to see what happens like you know at the end of this episode when you think okay akane's all better now and then mm-hmm. you know say reveal her you know all the pictures of uh i hope yeah. on the wall in her room and everything <laughs> oh no and, we turned her into daniel day lewis <laughs> and, and she and she comes she comes back with literally with the I literally with drink the, your milkshake yeah and <laughs> Sorry. she literally she literally comes back with the stars in her eyes i'm like yeah all right yeah. Sure. Look, she just look. It's just out of the previous arc, you know. Akane's bankai had not yet been uh, written, <laughs> you know, so basically, uh, yeah. <laughs> so ah, so it's so she really is a female character in Bleach. We only revealed her bankai after like everyone stopped caring. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, yeah. Let's. Let's move along. I think that probably has the most episodes uh, left, right? So we'll. we'll good see, news, but... guys. The next arc is all about Ruby. Oh, f- I, I would I would take some. Ruby Wait, is it actually, point. or are you joking? Because... I'm joking. Oh, <laughs> God damn it! Yeah, because I would gel. I would actually walk. I would actually but watch I'm... a Ruby arc. Like I'd be fine with a Ruby arc. Yeah. Yeah, like she's a dipshit, but she's not a fucking prick like Aquamarine is. So. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Let's let's talk about. Birdie Wing, Golf Girl Story. Anime the Year, Undisputed, Birdie so, Wing. As I as I was joking earlier, uh, Aqua, you did put out a post, a rather uh, scathing post about your dissatisfaction yeah. with season two. Immune of... to criticism, Birdie Wing. <laughs> All right, so I, while I... I don't know, something's just snapped in me. <laughs> yeah, we'll, I think we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I, I will say... <laughs> While I definitely do not share your um, level of vitriol that you had in that post, I I would probably concede that Eve's European tournament arc was maybe a little underwhelming, a little undercooked. Like, uh, which is not to say I, I didn't think know, there man. were some I, really great no. content. Like I would agree. The thing I would. Like- ag- I would agree. Like the like the Leo stuff, I think is a little weak. Like I don't know what I, happened I to Leo. That's my, I think that's my main disappointment as regards the last few. Because he so. he's all of a sudden like all kind of cleaned up and like he has his like, uh, you know, vaguely homoerotic flashbacks with uh, Kazuhiko. <laughs> vaguely, <laughs> okay. I, I will. I will. Okay. Extremely. I will. I will. Go ahead. <laughs> Yep, sorry. All right. I I will contend. I do think the uh I do think the Leo stuff is a little bit half-baked compared to how he was introduced in season 1 as like a moral golf char asnable just right. picking right. up and discarding random young women mm-hmm. uh uh and training them to become golf killers and the sort of very kind of softball reveal that ah he just did it because he loved yeah. Kazuhiko's golf that much it's just, is it's like, just like just a guy who loves golf like and it's like <laughs> also like like I can't overstate how much mystique he loses by just carrying around a bunch of golf clubs and being a caddy right like, they, so we should not have had him do that yeah uh, he, but he, he's a character that was better the less screen time he had if that makes yes, sense yes, yes most assuredly i mean as, as this like Neil mythical literally... yeah he is like the the equivalent of like a, 
an enemy in a video game who is like super imposing, and then when you fight him in the boss fight, you just kick his ass in a minute. Like you're like, oh yeah, you could just stun lock him with light. Yeah, attack, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah but, uh, yes, maybe Leo was at his strongest in season, you know, in like his first introduction when we were all like, wait, is that Char as the boss? Yeah. Um, I mean, the entire point of the character is to get Shuichi Ikeda to say as much right. stupid yes. shit as possible. Like, yes, he's, 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 he said he's too old and infirm to voice Char Aznable, but he's fine yeah. phoning it in as just some golf <laughs> dude. Yeah. But that's the thing, like, this, this... Speaking of the carrot of the stick, on the stick, like, I think ever since Birdie Wing returned, it's, it's, it's had this thing of, like... Where we imagine, oh, this is a ridiculous thing it could do. This is a ridiculous thing it could do. You know, oh, he's golf charasnable. What is his super master plan? Or, oh, Eve is a clone of Aoi's mom. And then and, and, oh, they're going to play golf on the moon and whatever. And, and every time we're like, no, it's not going to be that. You know, this show is unpredictable. It's, it's going to be something we can't even imagine. I mean, is and that I've our fault come... or is that Ray Wing's fault? <laughs> and I've just come to I realize mean, a, a little bit from Colin A, a little bit from Colin B. Like... Never gonna get that. Like, and well, the show is two just episodes left. content being not nearly ridiculous enough. See, I don't know. I just I, I can't its own look. purpose. I I I, 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 I got to push back on this a little bit. Sure. Right? I feel like. Yes, like, are, have we not... Okay, first of all, we have gotten Golf Mafia bullshit in Season 2, alright? We did have Eve going up against a lady with the fucking slippery it, sand or whatever. It was a little off, off, however. That right? felt like a pathetic rethread, like... But, uh... I don't know. I think as someone who, like, look, I, 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 let me be clear. I never got into Birdie Wing because I was expecting it to be, like, a serious sports anime or whatever. But, like, as someone who does love those types of shows, like, is it maybe a little bit less, like, like surface-level ridiculous as it was in Season 1? I will contend to that. But I also think that, like, the ways in which it has embraced, like, the zaniness now applied to, like, sports anime tropes has been... I don't know, very entertaining to me, right? But the thing like, is, because... is it that zany? Because, like, every episode... She literally golfs like... so hard that, like, her arms are about right. to explode. Like, <laughs> every episode has, like, one or two meme moments. And everything else is badly written soap opera. Not even the entertaining kind. Just the oh, kind oh, of yeah. that is dull think... and underwhelming. I like, think we're just... I think we're just going to dis fundamentally disagree on that one. But I mean, I I think that I, I get where you're coming from, Aqua. I get the sentiment. I think that the show is, I think that the show is still good, goofy, pulpy fun. You know, like I think it's partially our fault for like building it up into this like meme, like whatever. You know, but I I think that. I also think that kind of like the narrative they have chosen to go with, which is like to move into these more uh, tournament-focused arcs, which makes it, which you know, makes it more like an actual sports anime. Um, right. Just you know, inherently limits the amount of goofiness they can do. And do I think that's a mistake? Probably, yes. I, but... I don't know. Just have the same kind of weirdos that they had in the mafia know, guess, stuff show up in the tournaments, but no. I mean, just... we, 
generic golf girl who hits ball hard and, and we then, I don't know, by hitting the ball harder every you know single what? time. I don't know. See, I gain like an endless amount of delight from like the entirety of Eve's quote unquote conflict in these two episodes, right? Of like, ah my opponent hit ball harder than me. I must <laughs> yes, hit ball harder exactly. with rainbows, right? And uh, I, and then I it's like ah, oh, 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 that's funny once, but this is what I hit ball going too the hard episodes. Like, I, I do I think know. it was very funny that she had a like ultimate forbidden technique, and then revealed that she had an even more ultimate forbidden technique yeah. of her ultimate technique. Like that's the kind of structural silliness like, I could get behind, and and um, everybody being like. Ichida, you have to stop E from using the rainbow bullet burst. Like it'll yeah. kill her. She'll never golf again. <laughs> right? Yes. And and Eve is like, fuck you, I'm built different. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's something so, delightful to I, me about that. I, I this conversation had me thinking about the the current gold standard of mixing things that shouldn't belong, uh, which is a uh, Kiba made war. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and I, I think uh, with that show, because you had you had the mix of the like made cafe show with the the Yakuza hard boiled mm-hmm. crime yeah. drama. And if it tried to be one of those things on its own, it probably would have been pretty like. Basic and not that very, not very good, but the sheer of that show is entertaining because of the sheer absurdity of the context of like what they were doing mixed with, you know, mixed with the cute maid cafe thing, right? Like some of the dialogue that they were sh- right, spitting right. out. And, and so I like, so like this is wing also does that and does it well. The thing, the problem is they've structurally fucked up by putting all the weird ass goofy mafia shit first. And now we're just doing the same thing, except this time it's real golf. I think, I think you might also be forgetting the second half of season one where the school stuff was also not that. I mean, like I, crazy, like I also think the second half of season one was I'm a saying, significant downgrade. So I'm saying we 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 we've gone because we did the mafia, we went to school, we did the mafia again, and then you know now we're back to the it's not school, but it's kind of the same idea where we're back to basically mm-hmm. tournaments, Pro golf. playing yeah. playing actual golf, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, but what I was saying is like you know the fact that we can get uh you know it doesn't need to be like wild somebody shooting rocket launchers out of a car uh which did happen <laughs> it, it, all the time for for it to be absolutely absurd and to me still entertaining like the thing is like when like, we get when we get stuff in this episode like like aisha who's supposed to be what like 10 or 11 years old or something giving a I speech think she or, might be slightly older than that all right maybe but, 12 yeah. at most or something yeah. That when we get her saying ridiculous dialogue about the scent of a wounded animal or something like that, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, am on board with this. Like, <laughs> the whole thing where she's like questionably portrayed as like a Tarzan style wild yeah. child, like, which <laughs> I like, mean, yes, yeah, so, this episode she didn't weird. even talk. <laughs> like, yeah, and it, like doing the like her doing the the Happy Gilmore run up and smash the ball and it God. turns into a cannon. Come on. Yeah. Like, that's how, all. How could I forget? I've only seen it five times. Yeah, it I, was great every I, time. I think, it was great what, every time. I, I think what Joe's yeah. trying to say is that, like, he, and correct me if I'm wrong, obviously, Joe, but, like, it's it's a sentiment I share that sometimes the low-key silliness is, is, like, 
just as much of the fun as like the big headlining goofy stuff. Like I honestly found the idea that like that like I like the mysterious butler was a formidable golfer himself back in the day and also looked exactly the same. And also that he's a trained (laughs) acupuncturist is like super funny. See yeah, exactly. But the thing is the thing is I I I acknowledge that. That is funny. I also like that about Breathy Wing, but the last couple of episodes it's gotten predictable. It's exactly, you know, and the whole thing is just, ah, I recognize that because that is what happens in an anime. Ah, she had a secret move and now she has an even better secret move. Oh, um, the guy is secretly cool. The old guy was secretly cool. You know, they did the I am also a certified X joke two episodes ago. <laughs> like, they just... I just I have mean, the feeling I think, they're spinning their wheels, you know. All right, I, I think we're. I think maybe what's happening here is that, like, to a certain extent, at least for you, Aqua, is this a case of familiarity breeds contempt? Because I'm of the mind that I don't think the jokes have gotten any worse in Birdie Wing. I don't think that the, <sighs> the antics have gotten any worse for me personally, but. I will contend that they are probably the same kinds of antics that this show has been doing for nearly two seasons now. And personally, I I have a tolerance for it. Heck, I have a gluttony for it. I enjoy this anime being like on, on this specific track. But like but but I guess if, if what you are looking for specifically for Birdie Wing is a continual escalation that like surprises and catches you off guard. Yeah. I think it I, is definitely settling into sort of a pattern. I, I think I would agree because I don't think the show is doing anything really that different than what it's been the whole time. But if it is, it is doing the same thing. And if you are mm-hmm. tired of the same thing, then yeah, it's going to start to drag. I just get the feeling that whatever the show is trying to be doesn't really, for me at least, doesn't really work if you don't escalate. Yeah. it's It just feels stagnant. Well, we have one more golfer left in the OP, so, got, you know. And she looks what? boring, and she's going to be know. boring. Maybe we she got... can go Super Saiyan or something. We just haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I, I, I find it weird like, that I... we started off the show with, like, <laughs> Viper and Rose, who had distinctive designs, and Eve was wearing, like, horrible fashion disaster outfits, and, and Aoi was cosplaying as an angel, and now they all wear, like, boring ass golf clothes and they play against boring golfers like i mean i i think i i get yeah i get it but i also think that like continuous escalation is a dangerous path right because because at some point you know it it stops being fun you have to know when to escalate and and you know and i think the you know, in theory, the escalation now is that the stakes are higher because they are playing for a position in the pro ranks. And look, I ain't claiming that Birdie Wing is Shakespeare or something, you know, like it's a very shallow story. But I like the characters enough that I do have some investment in what ultimately happens to them. And so, like, I'm kind of, you know, I, I'm still rooting for them to succeed. And that, to me, provides the connection to the story, even when perhaps the humor or lack thereof doesn't live up to its end of the bargain. Yeah. I just, I'm just wondering that if, if we had this second part in a vacuum and it was not birdie wing 
and it didn't have the two designated meme moments every episode. I mean, you we, have already we, offered way too many disclaimers on that. Yeah, right, now, 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 now you're asking, like, what if we watched a show? Yeah. yeah, like a completely no, no, different show no. halfway through. Like, no, it, it, is a, it is a continuous story. Like, we are still building no, off of the, the first thing half. Is, I'm saying it... Becoming more conventional has shown that as a piece of writing, this show just isn't very good. I... I, I mean, I feel like we knew that from the first Yeah, time. bro, it's, like, it's pretty <laughs> weird. Like, we have yeah. not been big fans of this show because it is a gripping, well-written character drama, you know? Right, but they seem to know that, and that was funny, and now they don't know that anymore. Now they expect mm. us to... I don't know about that, like, I think. Look, look, if you're saying that... Like, Why would you, you know, willingly you... make someone watch ten minutes of bad soap opera? I mean, oh, I thought, I thought oh, see, see now, see now, all over the world. I mean, now like, we're now we're getting. So now this is just getting into opinion at this point because yeah, I thought I mean, all of the soap opera stuff was great. I yeah, loved I'm it. kind of in, like drank that all up. Like I, I think you know, obviously, you know, everything we say on this podcast is subjective, you know. But I think that, like, like I said, I do have an attachment to the characters, and that means de facto, I'm interested in what they do. And, you know, would I have been this attracted to the characters if the show had been about a bunch of golf tournaments from the start? Probably not. But guess what? It wasn't about that. And therefore, I am attached to the characters. And therefore, I still at least have some interest in, like, is it as funny as it used to be? No. Is it as, like, wacky as it used to be? Also, no. But part of that is familiarity breeding contempt, right? You know, it's very hard for any show to, to, like come up with new tricks constantly over 20 plus episodes and yeah and i i think that you know i i think that the established strengths that the show has are are enough for me at this point and and just going back to my point when i was comparing to akiba made work because I, I don't know if i actually brought that full circle but you know using like the the soap opera melodrama as an example like if it was just that uh, then, like, if it was we were watching a literal show about, you know, I don't know, take the drama with the adults and who's in love with who and all that, and you know, you know, you made that like just the show about that, it would be, yeah, it'd be boring and I wouldn't care. But the fact that it's it's so absurd because it's put in a world where in the context where golf is, it's this, we're actually talking about golf, right? And it's like just that makes it so so much more like ridiculous to watch and i find that entertaining like when when coach amaro is like dying because he <laughs> sacrificed himself to make these golf clubs for alloy and he's like these are, this is the first and last gift that might you know will your parents ever give you and you know like you know the fact like if if that was like meant to be like seriously taken on its own in like a serious context like like if he was like really sick like with a normal illness and like he was you know just giving a present to his daughter you know that it might be fine but it's that's kind of boring but the fact that it's in the context of we're talking about golf <laughs> it just makes right. it so I mean, it's like, this is like, right. like one of those things but where the it's joke like, has the been the joke has been we're talking about golf for 20 episodes i want yes so that's i, I mean that's what we're getting that's at funny anymore like, that's what we're getting at now it's we're kind of getting into opinion where right like, okay if I you're mean, you're if if you know if you don't think it's funny anymore then that's you know Yes, they are. I think we all agree they are basically doing the same joke over and over again. Right. It's just who, whether you still like it or not. 
And I mean, like, I, I, I think that's a thing, right? Because, like, for me personally, like, the whole, like, you're pushing yourself too hard, you're going to give yourself a permanent injury is, like, sports anime trope 101. Like, it's right. done in every, literally every single sport. Football, basketball, baseball, like, tennis, it doesn't matter, right? It always comes up. It's always the whole, like, ah, if you push that injury too far, you'll never play again. And... yeah. But I've yet to see a sports anime where the protagonist walks in with literally every limb covered in bandages, right? Like, it's, it's, like, that is where, like, that's where it takes the generic trope, and then, like, for me anyways, personally, pokes fun at the patent absurdity of it and takes it to the next level, and, you know... I get a good laugh out of it, but... <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, just just to kind of cap off this discussion, like, I want to emphasize that, like, Birdie Wing's kind of trash, and that's fine. You know, sometimes it's fine to like trash. Like, is it uneven? Is it, like, relying on, you know, a limited amount of jokes? You know, yeah, these are all true things, you know, but this, this is not an attempt to, like, scientifically rank... Uh, all the anime in the world you know for that yeah, there's our other podcast no um <laughs> but but you it's know true. like i i think like would i want to watch more than half an hour of birdie wing a week eh, maybe not you know but i think i think that like it's it's absurdity is comfortable it's its stakes are still melodramatic. And like I said, I have a fondness for the characters, you know, whether they've earned it or not. And at the end of the day, you know, sometimes it's fine not to be, um, to enjoy the, the kind of like glibness of it all. You know, I think if you start to look below the surface of Birdie Wing, you won't find anything because it's, it's a, it's a show built entirely on shallow goofs, you know, but, but that's fine sometimes. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm still enjoying it be- because of that, not even in spite of that, because of that. Right. So okay. yeah, next episode they're probably going to the moon, right? <laughs> are, are, are we back to uh, going to <laughs> the, final, the final tournament? Uh, they have to go uh, play on the I, moon. Okay, uh, so the uh, the final golfer will be. Um, she's been cry- cryogenically frozen. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. You know, I I do hope that they escalate a little for the ending. But right, we'll like I mean, if we're if we're being serious for a second, right? Like, is the last tournament probably going to be a relatively normal golf tournament? Just Eve and Aoi are there, and this third person is here too, probably. But I think almost certainly, <laughs> as always, right? It's going to be in the details where we find our fun, you know, and our like. Uh... I mean, you know, at the end of the day, right, it's like, because this whole thing's been building up to the whole, like, Eve Owie thing, right? It's like, like, they have somehow managed to cheat us out of an actual head-to-head between those two, like, for 20 episodes, right? Yeah. So, also, at some point, someone is going to hit a hole in one, and we have to be there to see that. So, <laughs> this is our last chance to speculate. Um, How are they going to find a way for them to tie because i don't think they're gonna okay. i don't think they're gonna let one of them win so here's my theory um all of reality is just shadows on the wall of a cave and, um, <laughs> I see, no we're, we're doing it the, see we are the problem this yeah no I'm, we are no i understand why aqua's furious at us 
this is what Aqua's trying to tell us. We are the problem. <laughs> but also, also, it's also, funny to speculate about this show. Yeah, like, this. like some of the fun of following along with a goofy show is to make jokes yeah. about it, right? Like, yes, right. You know, like this is I, like I honestly have no idea how they're going to end. Yeah. You know, like my my prediction is that they will tie and then they will kiss and then I don't know. They're not going to kiss. <laughs> no, they probably won't. Will they? They probably but, won't. Um, but they'll cheap out. They'll coward out at the last second. Like, anime always as, does. I do think they will draw. Um, yeah, they'll, they'll get as close as they can possibly can to kissing without actually kissing, whatever that means. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, no, there's definitely gonna be a draw. They can't possibly let one of them win at this point. Okay, here's the actual question: Will there like? Are we done with Gunpla cameos? Will there be any more Gunpla in this oh, show? Man, now that they're no longer, or like, now that Eve is no longer in Japan, I've been, I've been losing faith in getting one more Gunpla cameo. But I think all the Gunpla like... happened when we were not in no. Japan. Like, oh here's... yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's it's a it's a long it's a long shot, but I think you could get like a shot in the epilogue when 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 Lily gets her last like one. Camera uh, shot, just, just a yeah. room full of and death after dolls. after now that Eve is an international golf golf star, she like sends her you know a pile of gunpla or something. That's our last. You sure something like that? That's our last chance I for a, a gunpla cameo. But yeah, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, all right. Well, pretty we maybe not the anime of the year. Oh no, I'm not. I can't say that. But. <laughs> <laughs> You people have a sickness. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Aqua. It's just too much fun. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's move on to probably a more conventional anime of the year contender and talk about... What if that lady has laser eyes? Is it? Heaven... I don't know. I don't know, Jell. I've seen some people online complaining about what a slideshow the last episode of oh, Heavenly okay, Delusion well, was. Yeah, okay, so... first we fuck those people. Um, yeah, where's my so... in-between frames, bro? Yeah, Look, so we are talking about universal law of anime. Fewer frames, funnier. Okay. Welcome to the Canada School, bitch. <laughs> I have to say, this Tengoku is how we do Daimakyo. animation. <laughs> I have to say, Tengoku Daimakyo because that's right. the official English title now. So, yes, yeah, whatever. thanks, Hulu. Um, so yeah, we get a interesting pair of episodes. You guys have yeah, already dove, diving into the second part here, but in general. Uh, we... These episodes, like the the thing, like I've praised Heavenly Delusion in the past for like being good about switching up its dramatic and comedic sides, right? Like I think this is another example of that, but I think they are really pushing to the absolute limit. In right. some, of this is the most aggressive they've been about the style switching up till now. I think, yes, and literally and figuratively, but yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I guess we should talk about the first episode since it's sort of yeah. more conventional of the two, right? Um, so it kind of takes place immediately after the uh, extremely emotionally distraught uh, events of the uh, the uh, the hospital, I guess. And uh, yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit it's a bit of a a, 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 a stress valve episode, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where we kind of get back to just what is this show about? It's about these two kids, uh, you know, exploring the apocalypse and getting into memorable and sometimes off-kilter adventures. And uh, it's kind of exactly what happens in, in at least their half of the story, where they meet uh, Juichi, who is a self-proclaimed information broker, who uh, claims to have some knowledge that uh, may be of use to Kiriko and Maru. Right? Uh, okay, and- so before we go any further, I must talk about my favorite part of this episode, which is the way that the show 
expertly sets up the idea that it knows that they are going to do the joke where they give him the money and then rather than moving the van, he will just drive off in the van and then completely pulls it out from under you when he does yes. that. I really like that. Yeah, like, yeah. No, you, when he does exactly what he says he's going to do. Because he realises yes. that he can even make more money off of them by... You know, telling him, telling them his YouTube creepy pasta story. (laughs) And I think the thing that's really delightful about this episode is it is again that reminder that, like, you know, initially they do explore a little bit of the tension that I think would happen in a post apocalypse of meeting a stranger, right? And it's like, Kiriko is definitely like hand on her hip. Like, she's not necessarily expecting a fight, but she's certainly ready if one, you know, comes, right? And it's that remember, it's that realization that, like, most people aren't out here to just murder people indiscriminately, right? Like, you know, Juichi's here to make a buck, you know, like, yeah. and I if do he can like, scam a couple of gullible kids at the process, he'll do it, but... I, I think a really neat detail, like a tidy little detail, like, is how impressed they are that he's got a car, like, yeah. even though he plays it down, they're like, oh, you've yeah. got a car, like, yeah. Yeah, but I, I know what you're but, saying, G, because in most other shows, like, you're just waiting for this guy to double cross them, right? I mean, he's like, got that design, right? He's got yeah. the design of somebody in the post-apocalypse who's going to betray the group, you know, immediately, right? Which, which is why what I will say is that it's so effective when they subvert that and then they subvert it, and then at the last minute they again pull the rug from you when it turns yes. out that he does betray them in a form, like. Well, I, yes. I mean, like spoilers. <laughs> that's that's the end of the next episode, right? In a way like, that's yeah. more complicated than just you know, absolutely. Right, but, but like yeah. it, it's a good, like I think sometimes when you present characters as comedic and then like reveal actually they're dark, it can be clumsy and like pathetic. But I think actually like they they build his character enough up that that like when that turn happens and because of the context in which that turn happens, it feels more like. A realization, like right. like the audience is reminded that oh hey, this is the post apocalypse. Sometimes, like even the goofy ones can be dangerous. Sometimes, yeah. uh, you know, just to give like a brief recap, right? So, kind of what happens here is initially uh, Kiriko and Maru want some more questions on the mysterious bird emblem that you know is on their gun, um, and they meet a they meet you know Juichi, right? This info broker who claims to have some information about that, but first. He's going to get his money's worth by telling a couple of, like, total non-sequiturs that may or may not be more related to the plot than they initially appear, right? Like, the first of the stories is very much that speculative, like, some say this is what ended the world. Others this guy say, is basically like an NPC who, like, spreads, quote-unquote, rumors that yeah, refer to yeah. side quests you can get in right. other parts of the world. And, <laughs> and sort of the fun of that, right, is, like, is he telling a tall yard? Honestly, he kind of is. On the other hand, do you not see a flying angelic form in one of his flashbacks that sort of looks similar to Azura? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of like the secret Trojan horse of plot importance that they slip in there as well. But like... Um, You know, which which definitely feeds fuel to the speculation, of course, that the, the Academy... Fla- um, well, I almost said the, the word school, there. The farm. Yes, uh, right. that um, those are potentially taking place in the distant past. Yeah. Also, we shouldn't underestimate the fact that this episode reveals that Asura was just straight up an alien dude. Yes, like, yes. Also, that <laughs> yes, we like that a is weird, the, like the, grey. 
Yeah, that is the Academy half of this episode, right? Where we find yeah. out that, uh, in some regards, um, it seems that Kona or Azura may have been Kona's uh, first love, or at least very close um, friend or family relationship, yeah, right? It, it's Being that they were left a little ambiguous. Uh, they were they were the first. Uh, we are told that they are the oldest generation of the children at the academy, and that they were the only two left at that point before uh, Azura gives some very cryptic uh, words to Kona before, uh, I guess, psychically hanging herself, which is uh, wait, I thought. Azura was a he. He's been referred to as a he in the past. Wait, really? Oh, yes. I I thought the sub said she. My I thought so too, but really? I Maybe. don't really remember. I, I feel I like when the, I the feel character like when... is generally referred to as she in like on like really? oh, Wikipedia okay. and stuff. I could have so, sworn that because yeah. I could have sworn when they first talk about him, when they first talk about them, uh it's like the the head of the facility calls calls Asura mile, but I could be mistaken. In any case, it's not materially important. In fact. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Other than that, Azura is a character that is implied to know because of their, you know, implied, you know, Azura is the most obviously different looking uh, uh, child we've seen at, yeah. at the facility so far, and, and there, seems to have been... some awareness of what is going on beyond right, the, the other children. Like the the children have sort of. Like over the course of the show, we've sort of had some weird, sort of very loose illusions that they may be psychic or possess some form of power beyond human. But Azura is like straight up like levitating and yeah. like uh like healing people's wounds and right like although they very clearly and quite nastily commit physical suicide. It's kind of implied that there's something beyond human there that lives on, right? Like, right. I mean, it seems it, almost it, like it, an ascension of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. When you have a character with these sorts of ambiguous, higher level powers, right? There is always that, like, is that just the physical form that has died? Sort of, sort of speculation. And there may be some truth to it, right? Because we do know that, or we see Mimi Hime has a vision, um, in 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 the following episode, but uh. This is all sort of like stepping around the other reveal of that the first of these two episodes, which is that uh, Tokyo is pregnant. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we kind of knew that, but... Yes, yeah, yes. But, I mean, uh, again, yeah, just... that darling in the Franks energy yep. uh, going strong here. Although I will say that, like, I was immediately like, please do not let the medical staff be as stupid as they were as dar- in Darling in the Franks. Yeah. Wait, and yeah, in I fact, think they're not, because they immediately realize. I, I um, feel like that's kind of... Even though we've kind of arrived at similar places of Darling of the Franks, I feel like we're dealing with much different themes here, right? Yes, like it's <laughs> much yeah. different context, and but like yeah. I, I think this sets up like a low key background mystery, which obviously will become higher key. But like the doctors seem terrified, like they seem absolutely yes. scared shitless. But nobody suggests aborting the baby or anything like that. Right? They say it's going to be born, right? Yes, I, I think you are you are you are key on some be- important uh, go ahead. No. I was gonna say like you're led to believe that they're going to abort it because to- Tokyo says like in you know, if very soon I'll have this thing that's growing inside me out. But 
but it's later made clear through like the actions of the staff and the adults that like actually no, they're just gonna let her give birth. And well, I mean, I think they literally say it, right? Yeah, yeah. But also, they're really like, like terrified of right what and is gonna happen. I think there's some fun speculation to be had here, right? Because like, obviously, one of the biggest mysteries of the show has been what are the aims of the academy, right? Like, what are they actually trying to achieve here? And it's very easy to just think, oh, generic, like, authoritarian, uh, uh, dark purposes, right? Which, to be fair, might still be true, but there is certainly some nuance to it, I guess, I mean, the, right? the show has done a very good job of laying just enough story breadcrumbs to keep yeah. you engaged without ever revealing explicit right. information about what this institute is, when it is, where it is, what it is doing. You know, like, they, they've done pretty well at playing all those cards very close to their chest. And I, I, I continue to find that, the thing I continue to find interesting with that part, that side of the story is, like, I I, I get the impression the adults don't really know what's going on, and they're also trying to figure something out. I don't know, yeah, but there, there, I think yeah. there's there's definitely that aspect that has been laid well in the show, right? Is that yeah? Because usually, um, when you get that type of story, you know, there's some kind of grand evil plan that the yeah. you know that the adults have or something, and I, I don't I don't feel like they're at least inherently evil i think they're i mean if, they, if, they if seem to anything, just not on, really know yeah. what's going on I mean, like and the you're whole trying to find seems out. to be very much we are doing this because it is humanity's only hope or i mean there's a little right. bit of a vibe even in these episodes that they're kind of flying by the seat of their pants too yeah right? and, and that's like, enjoyable right like like yeah. they don't actually i mean that's the thing right like when when they cremate taro's body and they find the the man-eater core in it they don't actually yeah. have a good answer to what's going on, right? Like the adults at the facility are like, "What the fuck is that?" Right? Yeah, it's there, not. It's not like there's a. There's not like there's a Gendo Akari sitting at the top watching right. everything and all. Nobody's steepling their fingers, you except, know? Yeah. <laughs> like, except maybe that AI, which seems to run. Yes. yes. Well, that would be a different. Yes, but that would be like a different take on it, right? So yeah, that's, yeah. that's I find that interesting, but, but yeah, um, it, it does. It definitely makes it for an interesting change of pace for this style of like story, where like even. You know, because obviously, you know, like the most obvious comparison in recent memory is probably like a promised Neverland, right? Where it's like the jailers know exactly what they're doing and they know what the children are trying to do. Right. And what's sort of fun here is like even the jailers are not necessarily <laughs> that in the know. And and also, again, you know, the the show has been so good at like divorcing these two stories almost completely from each other. Again, like I think it was Iroh who proposed last episode that the the farm the academy segments take place in the past and the thing that they're trying to prevent is the thing which ultimately caused the destruction of civilization right they're talking about a day of judgment which is approaching but right. and that, that all seems, seems that seems likely. a compelling theory but yeah but at the same time we have no real so like it, it's interesting i'm a little wary because you know, so much of modern media is based around, like, the puzzle box story right. of keep the audience engaged by stringing them along in a mystery. And it's very hard to, like, satisfactorily answer that mystery without, like, 
without either being an anticlimax or just like a complete non sequitur. Yeah, I, um, I would definitely agree with you, Zig. Like, this is not even me speaking with like foreknowledge. Like, the manga's not done, right? So, well, yes, it's that's like... the that's the other thing is that we will probably not get answers to most of these. So, questions. like, there, like, there's a reason why even you know, like, I'm glad you guys are enjoying the story as much as you are. But there's a reason why when we did the like the preview podcast, I was like. I, I hope this is good. This yeah. Like, I, I hope they pull it off because, like, I honestly, even I don't really know if they can, you know, like, there are, yeah. you know, there's going to be mysteries introduced in this anime that probably won't get answered in the 13 episodes they're doing, right? And, yeah. well, I, I mean, I think it's clear now that that means most of them at this point. Yeah. And, yeah. like, this episode, like, these two episodes even introduce a few more. So, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, we might as well get into the second of these episodes. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, it's for i mean fortunately like what we have had is sort of kind of a a lot of episodic type of little mini arcs or mini stories one-off stories of the you know the people that you know they're meeting on their journey here yeah and i think that works well so that if we when we do get to the end even if we don't get the big mystery solved it's still going to be like a satisfying hopefully experience but it's very much helped that the show is not dependent on the mystery to be entertaining yeah it's 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 interesting it's there and they they give you a little little breadcrumbs which is fun but but the the i feel like the meat of the show has been like these little like personal stories right and And, and i think this is a case where the production of show has actually benefited from the fact that there is no known ending because it means that we can take these little diversions and and let the story breathe or right. we can spend two episodes thing. on juichi's little ex- background yeah. here thing right Although, so again they do there is an interesting like mystery which ties into some of the main yeah questions. it's a nice it's so, a nice combo nice mix so, yeah, so so we find out that basically juichi's very uh like b movie exploitation film backstory uh about coming from this dystopian village run entirely by women where they keep the men in cages. I read this on uh, 4chan once. All <laughs> right. It's it, it's it kind of out bit, there. Uh, but, yeah. You know, yeah. look, it is it is also the post-apocalypse though, so it is one of those things where it's like, yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways isn't post-apocalyptic fiction always like sort of meant to be a vehicle for exploring what if society but different. And uh Yo bro, wouldn't it be fucked up if etc yeah exactly so we kind of find that yes juichi was indeed a male slave of a female of a, of, a, of a female run commune and that he had a son or you know he had a he had a child with two uh sympathetic members of that commune or uh well a, a couple i guess a lesbian couple who uh used him as a surrogate or you know to to have a have a child and that the three of them were planning to escape together but unfortunately juichi seems to have been the only one to have survived the escape but he does not know what happened to his biological son, and he is desperate to find some answers. And uh, sort of hires on Kiriko and Maru to to investigate for him. And it turns out that where this commune was is near one of the um, addresses listed in the flyer, the, uh, the 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 academy flyer that they find in the previous episode. And uh, that's sort of all just a prelude to the part where this episode was storyboarded and directed by Trigger's young ace, Kai Igarashi, who uh, you <laughs> may know for... Shows. Yes, you may know him for... Oh, wow, why was that episode of Gridman and Dynazenon so fucking good? Well, right. it was Kai Igarashi. And also kind of weird and completely different from the rest of the show. Yes, yes. Um, he also did the main episode of Cyberpunk Edgerunners. Um, and... Uh, 
I will so say it... that the the early parts of this ep- like this episode have more fully cooly energy than anything mm-hmm. I've seen. Oh yeah, no, I mean right. fully cooly. Yeah, I was gonna so. say you can you can trace the the DNA back through Trigger all the oh, way yeah. to Gynax. Like on this like one. somebody like because like because yeah, somebody. You know, because people, you know, they're have, you know, I, I'm not going to give them actual like breathing room, but like, you know, <laughs> some of the detractors of this episode have been like, "Wow, this is like so off model and weird looking," like even by trigger standards. And it's like, have you actually seen screenshots of Fully Cooly? Like, yeah, like my somebody dude, posted this great kill a kill, like right. And and, and somebody posted, I'll, I'll have to find it later, but someone posted this great compilation of like Haruko's faces across the six episodes of Fully Cooly, and it's like. She's practically a different character well, in like how right. the like, thing I don't understand know. about that criticism is that already like even before this, Heavenly Delusion has not been afraid to like do cartoony faces or art shifts when right. I think when it's probably show. just because this is like the most aggressive. Yeah, I mean this thing. it is I mean it they, is they change style every thirty seconds. Like like Kiriko's face I mean Kiriko has some really delightful faces this episode. Yeah. Like let's yeah. be clear. Also, right? there's one point way... where they just turn into like human sausages and stuff yeah. Like that, but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean particularly the is... bits when they're the particularly the bits when they're like getting frozen, it like literally changes like within oh, like yeah. frame to frame. Yes. Of I mean different this, styles, this is right? a lot of it, so, it's it, it, loose, it, let's yeah, say. Like in a lot of ways this is that reminder that Kayagarashi is like one of the true inheritors of the Kanada style, right? Like uh, which for those unfamiliar is like a very specific style of animation that sort of gets, you know, um spearheaded by Gainax primarily, right? And it's it's adherence, right? Your Amaishis, your Yoshinaris, etc. Right? Where it is sort of characterized by uh stiffer animation with fewer in-betweens, but a greater emphasis on like individual like frame composition and intensity. Mm-hmm. And right. The thing about the Kanada style, right, is like it is willing like that, that I think Kaikarashi really embodies, right, is that it is willing to be loose, right? It is willing to be kind of kooky and cartoony when the time calls for it. But also the Kanada style is responsible for, you know, like the mass production Ava fight in, you know, <laughs> you know, end of Evangelion, right? Although, that be it can fair, become let's... Let's give credit to a major assist from the music there. As oh, well. of course, yes. Um, but, but what I'm saying, right, is like they're they're like the Kanada style is capable of these like really impressive like degrees of intensity where it calls right. for it, right? And so, I mean, like, it's, when it's a style which emphasizes kineticism, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. like obviously that plays very well in some scenes yeah. as opposed like, to others. Yeah, like the, all the fucking animation during like the ice. Like so, yeah. They 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 go they go to the they go to the commune where it's already been abandoned, and it turns out that a a a man eater has has uh, taken up residence there with ice powers, right? And man, the animation there is like it's fuck. I mean, yeah, it's it's another like hard style shift, but it's so fucking cool. Like, and yeah. I think like the background work in this episode is more on point than it's ever been. Just these like delightfully cluttered human feeling backgrounds, right? Just all this like, just stuff in the background. Like, they use the abandoned school to such, like, such a this, good degree, right? This is part it's, of why we, like, we love watching anime and not, like, you know, just trying to recreate. Like, we don't want to watch, we don't want to watch something that's trying to recreate photorealism, or at least not all the right, time, right? Exactly. Uh, we, we want something that's using the medium to, you know, express the mood and what's happening, even if it's not 
you know a literal one-to-one translation of you know what it would look like if it were really happening right like it's it's yeah my only reservation here is that the opening of the episode is so goofy that it kind of and and it's not a fatal problem or anything, but it, is it, it jarring, does though. sort of like it does sort of like calibrate your brain to make it a little difficult to take, especially yeah. the stuff that happens in the immediate mo- aftermath. Perhaps with the level of seriousness that it needs, right? You know? and, and and while while the show has had its goofy moments, this is like ten times past the next level. I mean, that, it, right? it like it's. Sets, I mean, the slideshow at the beginning very much sets the tone of like, okay, yeah, yep. it, it, it <laughs> is. It, it, is, it, is a, it is admittedly a big departure from yeah. what the show has done, so it is a bit jarring uh, in that sense. But you know, standing on its own, I think you know, yeah, it works I, I think really well. you gain much more from it than you lose. I'm just saying, you know, like there is some stuff on the other. It's definitely different. And in hindsight, yeah. I will say, like. Because uh, uh, there's a reason why I said this is an interesting part of the story to give to Kai Igarashi, but in hindsight, it really perf- it kind of perfectly fits with like his style, right? Like because like you know like you know there's the part of the story where it is the classic like you know monster of the week part, right? With a little bit of weird post-apocalyptic social commentary, but like Kai Igarashi takes it to su- like. Let me tell you, a lot of the stuff is not found in the manga. Like all the, all of Juichi's flashbacks. The like, I was gonna say, like he's um... the 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 arc of like the red like Sentai like like keychain is not oh, yeah. in the manga. Like using that as the sort of like connecting piece. Yeah, connecting uh, I pointed piece out that, that that keychain actually looks a lot like Prince Sidon, and it's kind oh, of does it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um. But yeah, like using it in like all these like really like cool compositions, like the like like the like the, the desaturated flashbacks where like that yeah. little keychain is the only piece of red, and then like how that connects to like the very intense use of red at the very end of the episode when you know the other shoe falls. Yeah, I mean let, and... let's put it out there like the thing which happens at the end of this episode. It's, so basically, like you know they find the remnants of the society. Juichi's son is fine. You know, so there are two, in, and like they shack up with them, and Juichi implies that he's going to stay with you know his ex right. fellow prisoners and and raise his son. You know, and so there's two things which happen at the end of this episode which are fairly shocking and raise some questions. You know, the first thing is that it's revealed that Juichi's son has supernatural powers. Um, he has specifically the- ice powers. Yeah, right. The same yeah, they, as the man eater. Yeah, the right. abilities of the man eater who wiped out the original prison village. And what's remarkable about this is that how unremarkably the show treats it. Right? <laughs> they don't, they, and I, this is the problem, which is I can't tell whether this is deliberate or whether it's a narrative oversight. You know, because like the benefit of the doubt leads me to conclude that it's deliberate, but it's hard to square that with the way we know the characters would react, right? Because honestly, like, they're worried about what the baby can do, but not about what the baby is, you know? And and it seems it well, seems weird that they don't make a bigger deal of it. Well, I think um, from the characters, we know more than the characters, right? So that, that, tell, that gives us a lot more to speculate and play with. And I think right, they say, but, I forget exactly what they say at the end, what Kiriko says at the end, but 
they, they basically say we did our job. It's not a problem right, anymore. Right, but she, she even makes a joke about it, like hope you right. do, your son doesn't freeze you to death. And it's like, <laughs> I, I guess it's like, like freaking <laughs> the fuck out. I guess this is like one of those aspects where it's like you almost have to like just accept the like explanation that well, it's a post-apocalypse and these two have seen and a it, lot of weird stuff in their adventures. And but I mean, they I don't, do agree. It is a little weird that they are just completely nonplussed about it. It, it is. It is a little weird. I guess it's like the previous arc was all about like preventing this lady from developing like preventing a human man-eater like hybrid right. from being born you know and yeah it's yeah weird. i mean even that case though i think they left that decision to you know um i can't remember the doctor's name but right yeah but they're, they're kind of just what doing I mean, what like, whatever they're you know yeah what, i mean i think letting people letting remember, people decide right? letting people decide that, what they like, want to do with their own for for as life, like as right? for as like well-meaning and generally jovial as kiriko and maru are they kind of are just traveling mercenaries, right? I mean, Kiriko doesn't even finish off the Maneater at the school. Like, you know, they yeah. they confirm then, they blast off a piece of it, and she's like, eh, we did our job. Like, I'm not, <laughs> it's not worth and, getting and, and killed it's, over And this. it's not even like that they're they're being, like, cold about it, per se. It's more like, what are they going to do, right? Like, they only, right. they only have their own limited resources right. to begin yeah, with. I, but... I'm just saying that, like, the show has has made like the human manny to connection such a like core tenor right. of what we know about the mystery and like because you know the basically the entire show has been hinting that like there is some connection between the children on the in the school and like Maru's special ability and man eaters like we've seen that right. Kona's drawings end up becoming monsters we've seen that um right. what's Asura's you know that kind of stuff so like for them so the, to throw this out there felt weird and wrong well, yeah. that's, the, I guess that's the thing that's the thing is like i think it i think it does work because it on, on the one hand it's a clue for us who knows all that information and then from but from kiriku and Mar, maru's point they don't know all that information so what are they going to do about it like right. based on to, the based on the information that they have like what else are they going to do if I, I he think, decides he I, wants to keep the kid then that's yeah. his choice, I, I do but. get where Zig is coming from though where i think maybe the scene would have benefited from just a throwaway line from kiriko saying like well what else can we do about it right yeah like just and just i think it's just like not having that room to breathe does make it feel a little bit of a jarring decision in in universe yeah, yeah. Um, so the other big thing which happens at the end of this episode is it's revealed that um, actually one of the dudes who like who came to see Juichi and was looking after his son was in fact uh, the person who sold out him. Yeah, the snitch, the narc. Yeah, you know, and so Juichi kills that dude really yes. dead and in then cold blood and steals, steals the uh, car and escapes. And it's it's a really effective, like oh we we brought you crashing down to earth. Yeah, I I really loved the way the anime handles this twist, um, because like in a lot of ways that we talk about how it's a post-apocalypse, so people generally aren't like horrible to each other. This is one of those reminders. It's a post-apocalypse, and like there's no rule of law preventing you from committing what you believe to be a just killing, right? Like. Like, Juichi feels entirely justified to kill this man who, in all likelihood, like, there's even, in, they don't, I mean, this is all you ever get even in the manga. There is that scene when they're having dinner where that same guy seems like he's about to say something to Juichi. And it's like, maybe right. he feels remorse. Maybe he was about to apologize. Maybe he was about to take 
responsibility for his actions. We'll never know. Juichi didn't care to hear them, right? Right. And like, and at the same time, you know, like it's you know that that dude kind of killed two people and almost yes. three people. Like, I mean, yeah, totally. I mean, we we see explicitly that the two women are, you know, at least in the flashback, they are hanged corpses, right? This man, yes. his actions did in fact kill people. So in some regards, maybe Juichi was justified to murder this dude, but also well, it's, it's hard to say. But like, <laughs> it is, like, the thing which makes it so effective is that, like, when Maru and Kiriko leave, like, it is on such a hopeful note, you know? Right. And that generally this has I been... I mean, it ends on a know, stupid joke where they can't get the car started. Yeah, exactly. And then it is a hard cut to that, to, yeah. like, a corpse with his throat cut. Like, yeah. it's... Yeah. And, it's, and, and you know, I think... I think that there's a reasonable argument that you can make that this is just perhaps, like, shock for shock's sake. But I think it, it's also... I think, like, the counter-argument there is that it's a reminder that, you know... Uh, where is it that they say um, I think it's from the Sandman where they say that like stories only have happy endings if you stop in the right place right and ah, and yeah, here yeah. it's like here it's like oh we you know there kept were, it going yes <laughs> there, are other th- there are other things happening beneath the surface it, it's know, a very like, effective use of keeping the camera rolling right yeah. and and you know I think it adds I think it's important in a post-apocalyptic setting, even in this one, which is, you know, like one of the milder post-apocalypses, like civilization still exists in a limited form. You know, it's important to keep that kind of frisson of danger there, like that kind yeah. of that kind of reminder. And because we have spent the best part of two episodes establishing Juichi as like this fucking com- comedy goofy loser who is like trying to scam these kids out of a buck and like the switch to kind of this very cold critical violence is super effective i really like it because you know the thing i was saying earlier right about the thing that gets established about juichi is he's a con man he's a bit of a you know he's a bit of a carny but also like at no point in his meeting with kiriko do you ever truly get the feeling he's going to attempt to commit physical violence upon them i mean he shows them that circular saw which he does kill the guy with yes and like and it's that's what makes the turn in the second episode i was just gonna say it's treated as a goof because it is such an excessive solution right like like, i'll saw their arms off and and then like when you have a very violent way to kill someone right and then when he actually does use it and then it's almost that cool thing of like retroactively then you realize oh no actually even as far back as when he first met kiriko this man was probably always capable of murder just he did not feel the need to you know to commit that hard when meeting these two but when he finally finds somebody that he holds this degree of animus for he does not seem to hesitate yeah, I mean, yeah. It's also show one last great. shout out. Go on, that go again, on. Kai Garashi is such a fucking like good and devious director. When Juichi is like given his like monologue spiel to the seemingly corpse of the man he's killed, and then there's just that slight twitch of the body at the very end, and it's like. Is that just, it's it's that lovely thing of like, is that just the unconscious twitch of a dead man? Is that a man who is hearing Juichi give this monologue? Oh, and I mean, let's, let's be clear, that dude is dead either way. It is, yeah. The question is, is he dead now? Right, right. Did he hear what Juichi said? And is that yeah. like the 
dying gurgles of someone attempting to say something. And, and the fact that it's just left entirely ambiguous is... Oh, man. Kai Karashi. We, we, I mean, we, need to, we need to get that man a TV show. He's yeah. He's been I mean, directing all these episodes and... Uh, <laughs> the thing I will say, like, just to wrap this up, is that yeah. part of what makes Heavenly Delusion so attractive to me is that it is interesting in a lot of different ways, right? It's got it's got interesting visuals, it's got interesting themes, it's got interesting writing, you know, it's got interesting characters. You know, the show is not always at 100% on every episode, and, like, sometimes I right. think there are things you can question about it, but the strength in depth makes it so that you always feel you take something away even if you know you perhaps it the the main point didn't hit there's still a lot of things that make watching it worthwhile right yeah it's uh it's pretty good Mm. um okay let's uh wrap things up here with mobile suit gundam the witch from mercury okay Uh, so let me lay this out for you. <laughs> okay. What if I could stop Space Hitler before he happened? Okay. But, w- would you would you kill baby Space Hitler? Is that the question? Well, no. The okay. thing is, if I sacrifice myself by becoming Space Hitler now, I can make sure that there <laughs> will be no more Space Hitlers in the future. <laughs> How many yeah, times does sound, that happen? There's in, sound reasoning here. How many times it, has that happened in Gundam before? Uh, every single <laughs> time. All right. Well, uh, it was a Gundam ass Gundam episodes here. Gundam the Witch to, from Mercury. Yeah, they, yeah. they are definitely uh, leaning on some classic tropes yeah. and things. I know there. I know we could get a lot into the most recent episode that we've all just watched today, but we got. I got to give some shout outs to the prior of these two episodes where it is. Uh, Sort of the aftermath of Suleta losing now Ariel and Miorine and is uh, finally broke down. She's gone full neat mode. She won't leave her room. And, Shout out uh, to uh, her going full Homer Simpson and eating ham out of the fridge. Yes, like, everybody has called attention to Suleta. All Suleta, he, he just eating food directly out of the fridge. Truly, yeah. truly the 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 depre- the 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 the, uh, the the depression representation we all needed in one of us. Young I, I have to up. say, I have to say, uh, it's going to be a tough battle for the podcast header image between that and uh, in Birdie Wing, Ichina getting blasted by gay rainbow wings. right by the rainbow. <laughs> so we'll um, see. But you know, yeah. I'm glad it's this is. I think this first episode is not a bit, not not as bad about it as the second of. Oh boy, we got so many characters. We got to like wrap up their character arc. So it's just but it like it is becoming a problem at this point in the yes, show. Yes, it right? it feels like, like a checklist. So you know, I do appreciate that we find time to do what I hope they would do, which is that the Earth, you know, once Suleta has lost, you know, Mio Rene and the Ariel, who is left there for her, but her classmates in the Earth House, right, who all kind of band together to to cheer her up, uh, you know. <sighs> Uh, we get a uh, we get a uh, we get the culmination of Martin's arc where uh, he becomes the uh, fucking masochist play toy of yeah, one like, Cecilia Dote. This is but, one uh, step away from like a please step on me, Madame Dojinchi. Oh, like, yes, and, I, and I think it's less than one step. <laughs> a funniest yes. twist. I to say one step, but one step like over there. Yes, <laughs> yes. The, the funniest, the funniest twist in in all of which for Mercury. Is that Cecilia Dote was in fact the school's guidance counselor? 
and doles out some relatively decent advice to Martin to get him out of his weird self-hating funk. You know, while he is, of course, painting her toenails and holding her feet. <laughs> this show, it can't help itself. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> It's very good. It, it's weird, put it that way. Um, it is weird, but in some regards, the thing that I think is going to become increasingly true with at least these two episodes of Gundam Witch for Mercury is that it is the strength of those kooky emotional beats that will help yeah. paper over maybe, you know, some of the, the increasing shakiness of the foundations of I'm, the I mean, story's overall plot. Yeah, I, 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 think I, I, I feel like that we have said for quite some time now that, like, the... The corporate, the corporate politics and espionage kind of varies between dull and confusing a little a lot of the time. You yeah, know, by, by like, the end of it's uh, not the strongest point of the show. By the end of uh, the first of these two episodes, when um, you know Prospera starts doing her thing and all the Earth people start getting murdered, um, yeah. I had no idea what was going on at that point. So, I think this is unfortunately. I, I kind of, of get it, but like. Yeah. Uh, sorry, go on, Jay. But but so but the is... point the point that we were saying is like, I, at least from my perspective, I, I understood enough that I that I don't really care so much compared to it's like, what's going on it's, with the individual. It's like emotionally, right? uh, emotionally in your gut, you know, Prosper is doing this these things to achieve her revenge. Like that is like yes. the important feeling you get. I, I know what her the general idea is, is, right? Yeah, but yeah. The, it's like the more yeah. you zoom out and the harder you look at it, you go, "Wait, why did she do that?" And I think if you break it down, like. I would say it mostly passes muster. Like, like I they have a sta- complicated revenge schemes in my <laughs> anime. <laughs> I mean, in my right. Gundam, especially. It's like it's like I know like, I know what Prosper is doing is bad, but why is she doing it? I yeah, could not so, explain to like, you. I think it, I think it's also undermined a little by the fact that Prospera is the most obvious villain in the world. Like, right? I mean, she's not even hiding suspi- it. Right? She is yes. the most suspicious woman of all time. Yeah. And Mirian's like, yeah, definitely, we'll give you the Gundam. Yeah. Uh, well, like, and and I think it's like it's one of those things of like you sort of have to like remember like unfor- like people have literally already started to make g esque charts for which from Mercury to break down these relationships but um which is not necessarily a good thing you, you don't necessarily want to be compared to g but you know here we are uh, in that regard at least yeah. but uh I, the thing I guess to remember about Prospero right is that she never like held any allegiance to anyone but herself, right? She she's not she's not aligned with Earth. She is not aligned with the Spacians. She has always been aligned to her own agenda, right? Right. And I so mean, she's, even, she's a very classic anime villain yeah. in that. And way, so right. when her actions directly lead to like the mass massacring of the of of Earthians in the city that Miorita has landed in, she's making the mother of all omelets, and she's not going to fret over every egg. Like I mean, yes, is... that's the thing. Like, clearly, she sees all of these th- people and things as like items on a chessboard. Yes, uh, that could be, re- and it doesn't and... matter because eventually, human instrumentality is <laughs> right. Exactly, <laughs> and and I do want to, I do want to call attention to it's, a, it's a, it's one of those moments that uh, I. There's a version of this show that's 39 episodes, and this stuff gets the time it deserves, but. I do appreciate that they spend time to address like Miorine's like frankly sort of naive conception of like what she is doing here yes. on Earth, yeah. right? When the yeah. Earthian representatives are like, "Oh, you're going to give us job. Oh, you're a job creator. 
Wow, that's great. Oh, unemployment's going to go down? Hey, what about all the people who have been unlawfully detained and murdered in cold blood by your <laughs> Right, yeah. Right? Like, when she's, like, opening up with argument, like, oh, and unemployment will go down 30%. It's, like, the most, like, neoliberal, like, well, right. the cops are still going to shoot black people in the street, but don't worry, like, there will be so many new jobs, you know? Yeah, like, I, I think, I, and I like, and I, I like that about um, that bit and Mirina in general is, like, I, I like that she's smart, but she doesn't have, like, total control over everything. She doesn't know everything, you know? It's, she's not, like, a, a know-it-all, I you know, everything's going according to my plan type of thing. Like, right. She and, lacks practical experience. Right? And yeah, it, and it, so, it, it does almost kind of feel like if you threw an actual 16-year-old into that situation, right. oh, totally. I mean, right. that's like, what you were going to get. naive in the way that children... Oh, right. Like, yeah. Mio Rita goes into that meeting treating it like a school assignment. Like she's reading exactly. off a paper and then this will reduce unemployment, but right? And like these right. like and specifically like the Earthian representatives are older, they are people of color, or they, they are a diverse group of people. And they're right. nonplussed, right? They're like, that's cute and all, but like you haven't done anything to actually address our concerns. And you know, I think like again, this could have been uh, in 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 G's sicko world of of which for Mercury, this could have been a whole episode. Like people right. would complain, people would hate me for it. I would make an entire episode about Mio Rene I mean, just just getting dressed down by older people yeah, of color I mean, who like, have actually have seen been, like <laughs> there have been very good Gundam episodes that were just people in rooms talking to each other. Yeah, camera. yeah, like, like and and I think. Again, it's like that thing that Witch for Mercury keeps falling into of like, wow, that was a really well done two minutes of that plot line. Right, well, but it moving probably on. could have uh, right, <laughs> used a little more time to cook. Um, yeah, but that that was... I, I, I think, though, as Jill said, I think that some of its impact is dulled by the fact that it's not entirely clear why the conflict is happening or, or like, what what the like you get a sort of big picture view but it's i i think some more like clearly articulated stakes would would help the satire hit even harder you know right no i agree yeah but but yeah i guess we should probably just get into uh the 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 latest episode here which is uh, the most gundam which for mercury has gundamed since the last episode of the first season what were you going to say well, I, was, I was just going to say, like, they're kind of of a piece. Like these two episodes, oh, yes, are yes, fairly well paired because, like, one is basically pure setup and one is pure payoff. I mean, so, and that yeah. second episode also just kind of shows that the 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 show is more interested in characters than in the quote unquote plot that is happening. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a fair because that's basically a culmination of what you just said of like the show will 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 the show will seems like it it does seem to be the case that there is a full fifty episode plot written out for this oh, show totally. somewhere, <laughs> but right. they just decide to show bits and pieces of it like they're showing you the most interesting bits or pieces right. Yeah, and, and, and I, I that, that's that, what we've um, always said about the show being economic, right? Like it knows <clears> where to put the screen time. It's just a little, a little more would 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 be nice, I guess. Yeah. And, and like, it's just the reality of making a high budget anime in this uh, day and age, yeah. I'm afraid. And you know, this this second, like the main, I would say, the most important thing which happens in this second episode is mostly just that they effectively wrap up 
the uh like corpora infighting slash Shadik planning to be like right the like this, yeah, this episode kind of is... uh kind of nothing left by the end of this episode right like yeah, everything yeah, is like, burned it, to the it's, ground it's, it's yeah. funny because we were we were all like oh yeah the school's gonna get it in the first episode of the second half and yeah. then you know the ter- the earthian terrorists show up in like the fourth episode like ah, oh, yeah that's it for the school and now here we are finally at episode 20 or whatever and we're like all right yeah that's definitely it for the school in the next episode they're just going to be back in class <laughs> i swear <laughs> to god if they're still in class in the next episode this episode, is, even... this episode is just like various parties within the school try their hardest to get school cancelled forever. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say like the dream of everything. <laughs> yeah, this like, is this is this, sh- this episode is basically the thing that they do where they're like, oh the comic relief characters have to go now because now we're getting serious. Except in this case, the comic relief characters are like the the characters who are hangers on from old plot lines, and we're sort of right. just wiping them off and the board. Like, <laughs> I, like I joked about it to begin this to begin this segment, but like Shadik's like. Shadik basically does the I'm going to tell you my motivation speech and mm-hmm. his motivation is like you know uh to prevent like you know um you know uh there must never be space fascism again and therefore mm-hmm. so therefore you must give all the power to me and make me a space fascist so yeah. I right I mean the, the slightly more you know is right. is is a completely fine motivation but right. it is it is both a, a a little on the nose, and B also it is the basic Gundam plot since the very first. Right, show. like every every authoritarian <laughs> in the history of the Gundam has convinced like, themselves that they will end authoritarianism by becoming like the final authoritarian. Charles, yeah, it is yes. literally the Charles. <laughs> I mean, right, I think yeah. that fight with Guell is pretty interesting because if you look at it like from a strictly ideological point of view, Shadik is the more sympathetic one because he's fighting for the liberation of an oppressed people, whereas Guell yes. is just like, I want to bring my father's company back to glory. But then if you look at their character arcs, you are sort of like implicitly meant to understand that Shadik has completely lost it and is just fighting for personal revenge rather than for the liberation of the and, Earthians. And also whereas like- Guell is trying to become a better man than his father and sort of understands that his company was complicit in horrible war crimes, and, but and, and this will try to do better. Yeah. But also, Guell is very much fighting for the status quo. He is, right. right. He is and, like and this is one of those cases the... where I, I think that the, the Guell Shadik stuff only works. And, and this is why I have argued that like the thing that G, that that Witch for Mercury needs the most is more is just more episodes because. Right. I am willing to forgive the Guel fighting for the status quo stuff because we had an entire episode dedicated to tearing him down, ideal, you know, mm-hmm. like emotionally yeah. and ideologically, right? Like with his episode on Earth, right? So even though he doesn't say to the screen, "I'm going to build a better, more fair, binary corporation," right? We were <laughs> you understand in- yeah. his heart is broadly in the right place because of what he's experienced, and. At the same time, like, I think that there is a fascinating version of this story where, like, Shadik is a more sympathetic, more rounded character who you perhaps do not necessarily agree with, but is, you know, like the Shah of Shah's counterattack, who is a monster, but he is a monster who we have spent enough time with, who we have seen enough facets of to understand that there is, like, a deep compulsion and mania which drives him rather than just, like simply right. like sim but the thing is Shadik has had 
relatively little screen time and yeah like i said like the surface motivation is just the absolute like 101 thing for I mean, the so protagonist that's just the thing that it comes down to that this battle doesn't really work as an ideological clash but it does work as a clash of characters at the yeah. apex of their arc right? also a terrific visual spectacle yeah yeah Which, i was again, gonna say think... so yeah if we can't uh so if we're not gonna get the screen time we need for to fully flesh out all the political things and whatnot hey we got a cool robot fight yeah and <laughs> right. and, and and the character like you know i do want to point you know point out that, yeah the character stuff is still broadly done fairly decently right like this is the thing yeah. we've established now that like the witch from mercury is a much more character driven show than a plot driven one right yeah. and, and it is the anchor that keeps yeah. us hooked even when the plot goes kind of and yeah dude fucking i i gotta say really regret not pre-ordering the high grade darebald right now <laughs> like how was i supposed to know that would end up being the coolest fucking suit in this Which show one's man the, the red one Oh, yeah, gross. And it's like, you know, when that thing gets introduced in episode three, it's like, oh, this thing's such a jobber, like the most jobber-ass, like, <laughs> mech you've ever seen. And, oh, the redemption arc on, on Darvald, man. I, I do like, uh, I really like um, Shadik's uh, weird freezer aspect. Yes, yes. Because uh, it has, um, like, it looks like it's grown out of crystals, which is always a cool thing for me. And yeah. also it has the Turnex's weird claw cannon uh, feet, feet claw well. lasers. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Again, yeah, I had so. a perfect segue, but you guys had to ruin it by being horny for robots. Oh, <laughs> come on. It's a good robot fight. Like, the fucking, the way, Goom, like, oh, no, the fights uh, like, are good. Like, I, hey, I gotta give a sh I am the guy, so I, I will use our limited remaining time to say, I love when a robot fight understands that robots are people and simultaneously not people. That you can win a fight despite having your mech literally bisected. Because you still played the last winning move, right? Like, that's exactly right. what Guel does there at the end. I right? mean, where... also, when the last winning move is to cut your opponent's arms and legs. <laughs> it's um, fucking sick. We, we should probably briefly mention yes. the stuff that happens on the school as well. Aqua, you're yes. going to make the point, right? So, Shadik's plan is basically to unleash a school shooter? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he, as a sort of false flag distraction operation. So he sets he sets Doria free from the losers lounge, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and she immediately just starts blowing up, blowing up the school, and then Elan all of a sudden. And that day, Alan's heart grew five times its size. <laughs> yeah, it just becomes this weird manic pixie dream boy for her, who's like. Oh, I will show you that life is worth living, and 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 you don't need to fight and kill him. It's like, what has this dude done to earn this? Because like two episodes ago, he was still like a smarmy, slimy piece of shit. I guess I don't know. To, who was just he trying kept, to? He you kept know, looking at her sketchbook. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess that. Yeah. Again, this is one of those things. Where I was like, ah, if, if, like, if, I mean, I don't know if we could spend enti an entire episode in that room, but we probably needed like I don't know another like ten minutes of them talking. I mean, the like, moral I got from this story is that if you if you are locked in a room with a woman for seventy two hours, you will absolutely fall in love with her. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Also, right. I will I will say this: it is no. Gundam is no stranger to men just spontaneously falling in love with mentally ill women out of nowhere. In fact, it's, it's kind of very, an important plot point. In a lot there of is stories. a very dark version of this story because Elan number five is the Elan they specifically selected 
for his ability to woo women. Right, to seduce Like, Seleta, after right. they blow up number four, they explicitly yeah. pick number five to have him seduce Seleta. So that would be interesting if he uses those quote-unquote skills to, you know, talk Noria down from her rampage. But there... that's not what's happening here. Yeah. Like, I mean, also, it kind of doesn't matter because in the most predictable possible twist, like, the moment she stops, she's instantly sniped. So, I mean, every like, character I thought was going to die at the start of this episode died. Like, when I thought... I thought <laughs> yeah, like, shout-outs to Petra. Like, okay, speaking of Petra, um, so, so it kind of confirms that she was had a thing with, with Lauda, uh, Guel's younger brother, right? Uh, and this episode was also... one-sided, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And and this is also the episode where Lauda finally hears the news that, yes, Guel is the one who technically pulled the trigger on their dad. Is Lauda yeah. gonna go sicko mode at this point? Like, I feel like they've <laughs> sort of been building up that, like, he is low-key unhinged. In, you know, oh, well, Mercurian wench and all that stuff. Yeah, like, I think I mean, he's gonna, gonna, I mean, he's yeah. definitely gonna do something. I don't know he's what gonna, it is yet. But, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, mean I guess like, that sort like, of depends on how much he actually cared for Petra yeah. and how much it wasn't like, oh, I inherited my brother's groupies. Uh, I mean, like, uh, the I, I think the Petra thing plus. is neither here or there. It's yeah. the it's the their dad thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. But, uh, look, we all get, if, if we gotta talk about the, the Astakazia school shooting, then we have to talk about, um, I swear to God, it doesn't even make sense. It's not even in character. They are just, like, using Cecilia to, like, do cool stuff at least once per episode. Right. She's just, and like, so, the, the deus ex machina character. Yeah, <laughs> like, she is She is the Fonz of the Witch from Mercury. She is just this weird <laughs> bit character that just got super popular. Hey. And so that now the writers are like, hey, put Cecilia in this episode and make her do her trademark thing of stepping on men. That'll work. Next and, episode, Cecilia goes water skiing. Yeah, like quite literally, because <laughs> she's like, because like, you know, all the fucking Earth House kids are in the shelter, like, God, Choo Choo's like, damn, if only I had a robot, I could get some shit done if I just had a robot. Also, I like how the Debbie Trader was destroyed off screen just yeah, so they could have this up. scene. Yeah. <laughs> and Cecilia's like, well, good news, I have a better Debbie Trader in my locker. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> It's like, I mean, yeah. what? Listen, wow, thanks, Cecilia Dote, the hit character I, from the I, I don't know if you've heard, yeah. but this new hammer came out this week. And I mean, she's way and... stronger than the old one. That scene also sort of reminded you that there is a fourth major factor fa faction in the Benarid group that There's... has barely done yeah, anything like, up the point. Yeah, like, at, at the beginning of the like, show, I was like, I bet, like, mysterious quiet kid is really like a psycho or a mastermind and no uh, there's no time left he's just a quiet kid who has a harrow like he's got a horror with cool light up eyes to be yeah. fair yeah uh, but yeah uh, so that's how we get also Choo -Choo back you tell the truth uh, yes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that is how we get Choo Choo back in the mix and i wish he had gotten more screen time but we are given the gift of the delightful screen of i think fans literally <laughs> called this as far back as the episode yes. in which she was yes. literally introduced that Choo Choo is one day gonna be in a mech and be like fuck this sniping shit that's yes. for chumps and cowards and <laughs> just turn her oversized sniper rifle into an improvised <laughs> club yes uh, oh and i think this is uh, what we see, they mean. had to give her a robot because otherwise she would have just beaten everyone up with her bare hands yes and and i think what i think choo choo and cecilia's weird thing this episode is no better encapsulation of 
yeah, this, the longer you stare at the the actual like meta plot of of Witch from Mercury, the, the shakier it becomes. But these emotional character beats are so chaotic and good that I can kind of continue to overlook them. <laughs> I mean, yeah. look, I'm I'm going to sum up here: writing questionable, vibes spot on, impeccable. Yes. <laughs> the vibes are impeccable, without a doubt. Yes. All right, well. Uh, I guess we're gonna see how they're gonna to try to wrap yeah. this up in the last couple. What looks like Saleta has put the but... first important step towards redemption. Yeah, and I think you uh, still don't know gonna... what robot she's gonna pilot. Like, I, I, I still, I, th- I still think she's gonna take the new Gundam. Perhaps All some right. sort of. Cool that's my point. The new Gundams in this show. <laughs> we can't no, no, do that's... this bit. Yeah, we don't have time for that. Is, but is there, not the new what is it Gundam called? The, the, the show Birdie the, Wing. The Schwarzet or whatever a, it is. Yeah, yes. the, is there uh, still uh, a Gundam aside from Ariel that is still functional? There's the one the that... that uh, it's, it's the ring-headed one. But yeah. but everybody now oh, thinks right. that Gwil's going to take that now that Darabald is a scrap heap. So it's like... I think that she will get... still out there. I think that she will get Ariel back and... Prosper will get a sick new Gundam for like a red one, that, perhaps. That that's uh that's also that's probably the most likely, right? Somehow right. she gets Ariel yeah. back, but um, yeah, I I hope they pull it off. Is all I'm gonna say. And I I I don't see well. That's the thing. We're still at the point where I'm not. I we're, there's still danger of this crashing and burning in the last couple episodes, but I, when I it don't comes to think Gundam, that will You are not allowed to breathe until the plane lands. <laughs> until, the, until the final episode hits a, it's been hits one a hell of a flight and, already, though. Yeah, <laughs> it's so been, it's been fun. I and I don't I don't think I don't think they'll totally blow it, but I hope they they find some way because there's just so much going on and we're rapidly running out of time, but. Nevertheless, I'm enjoying it. No, you see, we'll have to watch it, and then we'll have to watch End of Witch from Mercury in two years. And then we'll (laughs) have to watch Witch from Mercury 3.0 plus Uh, 1.0. You cannot take one, uh, you cannot gain one, uh, or whatever. (laughs) Like, whatever. 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Prospera's counterattack. Anyway, yeah. So I think that'll do it then for for this one. We're going to wrap things up. So. yeah, we'll see everybody uh, in another month or so for the for the the final wrap up of the season. But yeah, let's do our housekeeping. You can check us out at theglorioblog.com. You can go read Aqua's post about the his feelings on Birdie Wing, um, which do not necessarily reflect the rest of the Glorio blog, apparently. But definitely go check it's that out. It's still a good read. It's still yes. a good read. I I, th- I think yeah, it's the the points I think are valid. I think we're just maybe difference of opinion on that, but yes. It's good read. Go check that out. Then uh, follow us on Twitter at the Glorio blog on co-host at Glorio. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google play, Spotify, Amazon music, Podbean, Stitcher. And of course, YouTube, you can like comment, subscribe, ring that notification bell, you know, tell us we're wrong. Point out all the, you know, factual errors we made, whatever. Uh, Tell your friends, tell your enemies. We'll catch everybody next time. I don't like you, Boston. (laughs) 